Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Modern Medusa podcast. This is episode six. I am your host, Dominique DeFalco of DeFalco Reptiles. I once again want to give a huge thank you to everyone who has been so incredibly supportive of the podcast and what we're doing. It's been so much fun. Um, I can't believe that we're already six episodes in. Um, so thank you. That's just the biggest thing I can say. And then a huge thank you to Joe Phelan with Port City Pet, of course, for being so helpful with putting this together. So today's guest is someone really exciting. She is well known for uh, the name she and her husband have made for themselves in the last year. So we're going to introduce Ashley Howdy of Focus Cube Habitats and Method Noir Exotics. Hi, Ashley. Hi, everyone. I'm here. Hi, Ashley. Ashley. (laughs) Thanks so much for joining tonight. Happy to be Uh, here. I'm super excited. We've been trying to do this for a couple days now or probably over a week now and uh, very excited to finally be here. It's a really special, special time. Yeah. So, um, the scheduling has been absolutely insane because, um, I know, and a lot of people who are listening might know that you are from Texas. And so you've been dealing with a bit of our Northern weather down there recently. Isn't that right? Yeah, that's been, um, pretty crazy. So my mother's from the North. She's, uh, grew up in Hershey, Pennsylvania and lives in Delaware. So she's kind of used to it, but, you know, we're touching base the whole time. So we're located in Texas and a lot of people in the reptile community now know that Texas was hit with an absolutely, you know, unprecedented, that word's been used a lot in the last like year or so with COVID (laughs) and everything, but like literally unprecedented weather event. Um, And the sad thing about Texas is, is that, okay, yeah, it's, it was cold. Um, which is one thing that's out of the norm. It was, uh, we measured five degrees on the side of our house with a temperature gun as we were trying to unfreeze pipes. Wow. And, and it's not just that it was cold and snowy, but the problem is, is that, you know, the great state of Texas, uh, we have a power grid that spans the great state of Texas. Yeah. And that's a big state. It totally failed (laughs) like hardcore. So it, and personally, my husband and I, we were not prepared. And it's one of the things that keeps getting iterated through the reptile communities is that uh, everybody was not prepared. And then people in the North, they say, well, well, you know, why weren't you to prepare? You knew that it was going to get cold, you knew, et cetera, et cetera. And I understand their, their point of view, right? Mm-hmm. But something like this was not something that we could be prepared for because, you know, we're hurricanes here is something that we're sort of prepared for right our houses are made for it our infrastructure is sort of made for it I mean we have hurricane evacuation routes Mm -hmm. um but for something like this ah most of us did not expect the total uh power grid to fail us and and there's no reason you should have well yeah but so I'm I I like to be on both sides. So like some people are like, well, you should have had a, a, a generator. You should have had this. You should have had that. So, you know, devil's advocate, um, when hurricanes come through and you don't have a generator, it's still warm. So for a reptile keeper, that's not necessarily, it's uncomfortable for the humans, mm-hmm. but for the animals that we keep, it's not really something that's an issue. Mm-hmm. So if you don't have power for weeks, it's very uncomfortable and like totally humid here in Houston. 
but it's not like a life or death for our reptiles. Now mm-hmm. the cold, as we just found out many people is that when it drops, you know, you, your house is without power for multiple days. And even if you do have a generator, the roads were impassable. Um, we don't have the infrastructure. We were actually, I had to take my mother to the airport this morning, like, um, before like 4am to get on a flight mm-hmm. and we were driving through some rain. Like now that the weather's passed, we were driving through some rain and we went over a very long overpass and it was full of rocks and the rocks were coming up and hitting the vehicle. And we were just kind of like, I guess, ironically joking about it. It's like, Texas didn't put down salt or, you know, like the typical, I guess, whatever a Northern state would put down, they put down rocks wow. and the rocks are still there. Yeah. So it's, like, it, it's not that, you know, even if you did have a generator, you weren't necessarily able to go to a gas station. We tried to go to a gas station. Mm-hmm. We, you know, we siphoned gas out of our jet ski that we haven't used in a year to try to, you know, it's a whole big story, but like to power the truck that ended up powering a reptile radiant, like heat panel to uh, thaw our pipes to be able to boil water for our animals. So Holy it's like, shit. Yeah, you want to be, you say like, it's easy for people to say, you know, the Texas wasn't prepared. No, we weren't. I really, I'll I'll be honest and say that we weren't. I was not expecting to be without power for days. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't expecting to, you know, get onto the point that where we had to, you know, be low on gas, that we had to siphon it out of other vehicles on our property just to power. Fortunately, my husband's truck, we had a, um, it has a built-in like AC plug. Mm-hmm. So we were able to plug in a reptile radiant heat panel. And I posted pictures, you know, on some of my social media mm-hmm. that we, that's what literally saved us. Like we put that up against our pipes. We'd already had a leaking uh, roof. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we were just, we were trying to get water to flow through the house and uh, to be able to boil it for the animals. And that's really what got it going. So once we got that probably about, I'd say 14 to 18 hours in, uh, we got the pipes unfrozen and we were able to uh, run water. We had fortunately had gas and a lighter. So we'd light our stove and our our gas fireplace. Mm -hmm. And we gathered all the animals that couldn't have, uh, that had huge enclosures. So as many people may know, I have a lot of monitors and like bearded dragons and stuff. And their enclosures were just too large to heat with the boiled water that we put in uh, like bottles, like glass bottles, anything like, you know, milk jugs, anything that we had in the recycling bin, we went and raided it. Mm-hmm. So we were boiling the water on the stove, we transfer it into these empty bottles, and then we placed them in enclosures near the animals. Like It wasn't like boiling hot water, but it was able to raise the enclosures I think our lowest room got to 54 Um, and, and that's not nearly as cold as some of some people. So our Mm -hmm. our house was fairly well insulated. Like I said, we temperatured our um, outside wall over here at five degrees. So Mm -hmm. amazingly it only dropped into the fifties, but I mean, at some point I was pouring buckets of boiling water into, or um, I guess buckets, like, I was pouring boiling water into buckets and trying to put them in the center of rooms. So the, like the ambient would raise. Mm -hmm. That's so smart. I, is that something that 
like you saw to do or someone told you to do. Cause I don't, I guess I I've been fortunate to never be in a situation like that, but I feel like you have to be thinking on your feet so quickly. Well, I mean, one of the things that I, I got from my parents was, you know, um, trying to be able to make a bad situation into something that you can work with. So Mm -hmm. obviously it's a really bad situation. So like the power goes out, you didn't expect it. It was, I know I kind of got ahead of myself. Let's see where I go about rambling. Um, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> 5 a.m. Probably 4 or 5 a.m. Uh, what was it? The 15th. So it was right after Valentine's Day. It was that Monday. The power goes out. And we have a fan that runs for like kind of, I guess, white noise. Mm-hmm. Um, and it went out. And as soon as it went out, because I knew that we were supposed to have a storm, I looked up at the fan as it was slowing down. I said, oh, shit. I'm like, we got to figure this out because if the power just went out, who knows when it's going to go back on. Mm-hmm. Cause like my family was kind of joking about it. And they're like, what are you going to do? If the power goes out, you guys going to be snuggling up to lizards because you're going to stay warm. And I'm like, I don't care about us. I don't care about the dogs. Yeah. We're warm blooded. Like mm-hmm. that's not the problem. I'm, I'm seriously not warm, worried about that. We'll stay warm. But I'm like, I have lots of animals. They cannot generate their own heat. And I'm like, they were, we were, you know, we were all kind of like joking and like poking elbows at each other. And it was like, yeah, we're going to put crested geckos in our pockets and, you know, we're mm-hmm. going to keep them warm. And then reality set in and the power did go out and it was basically all hands on deck. So I woke my husband up. I said, Hey, you know, the power's out. We got to figure it out now because it's probably not going to come back on. Mm-hmm. And thank Thank goodness um, we were able to get the fire lit. So that was another whole ordeal. Because yeah, that's house, that's very lucky. It's sort of old. It's not super old, but it's sort of old. And the way that the fireplace is set up, I sound like uh, Kevin Hart, the way my bank account set up. <laughs> um, the way that the fireplace is set up, it doesn't light like super, I guess, straightforward. So we had mm-hmm. to figure out, and of course, we didn't have a long nose lighter. So we're of course not. And thank God, like, I know a lot of people ran out of natural gas here in Texas. So that's Mm -hmm. another thing. Like, people are like, well, use, you know, your gas fireplace. Well, one, a lot of homes are set up just electric um, because we don't have extreme colds here. And the second part is, is that, yes, if you were, like, thankful enough to have a natural gas fireplace, there was actually, there was just shortage of it. Mm -hmm. And thank God ours was fine that was one of the, I, that was one of the saving graces of this whole thing is that we were able to get the fireplace lit after some definite tense moments of you know cussing and yelling and like arguing with each other why we couldn't get it lit because it was just the stupid button that didn't work but that's another <laughs> um so we got it lit without blowing the house up and uh i started gathering i had um so we go and do reptile shows that's one of right. the things my husband and I do with uh, method noir and focus cubed. And I had a bunch of big craftsman um, tubs full of bio dude dirt. And that stuff's heavy. Like it's Mm -hmm. super heavy. It was upstairs. I went and I started throwing bags of dirt out. Like literally I'm just like, I'm in gorilla mode. So I'm throwing these bags of dirt out and trying to get them uh, these tubs free. So I could throw my monitors in there because I have two of my monitors, uh, Asian water monitors in large enclosures in our sunroom. And the positive thing about the sunroom is it's a sunroom. So it tends to get a lot of heat just from the sun. 
Mm-hmm. Well, with it being so cold, it also is, it's like an addition to the house. So it's yeah. not super insulated. So it was dropping, I think by the time I got the monitors out within a couple of hours of the power going out, it was already dropping to 45 degrees oh, in there. Oh my God. Their enclosures fortunately were more insulated, but like the actual sunroom is 45 degrees. So I'm just like, oh my God. Okay. Like, Fortunately, water monitors are hardy, but I don't want to test it. Right. Yeah. But how hardy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I'm I'm like, it's not fair to the animal. So I'm literally busting ass. I am just trying to get them. I I have the tubs. I I clean them out just so they don't have like a ton of like spider webs in them, basically, because they're Mm -hmm. in storage. Um, And I, one of the things is my female Jax, she uh, actually, she's carrying a clutch of eggs. They're infertile. Uh, cause she hasn't been with a male, but she's been developing eggs and I'm looking at her and I see her there and she's under her basking light, just laying there like, mom, where's my, where's my heat? <laughs> she just, she's standing there and I open the door and she's looking at me like she's, she puts her tongue out and she's looking and I'm like, Hey baby, come on, we got to get out of here. So I grab her and she's like scrabbling, but she's cold. So she's not like super fast. Mm-hmm. So I get her and she Fortunately, they're used to going in tubs um, for like shows and then going to the vet and stuff. Yeah, because she's the one that you bring to a lot of the shows, right? Well, she's my female. She's actually um, my first water monitor. So I have a lot of time with her. I don't bring her to shows. That's Oh, you bring Dex. Dex yeah. and Jax. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Dex. My mistake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the, the name. We have a different, not easy naming system. Whenever we're like yelling at them, we're like, Dex, Dex, Jax, Dex. <laughs> not that it matters they're lizards but it's still funny mm-hmm. um but yes Jax, she's my first water monitor um and she's probably about three almost four years old now mm-hmm. and she's been cycling so she was developing eggs and I was like all right come on baby I know I know you're you're just trying to bask but there's no heat mm-hmm. so I put her in the tub and I put her in front of the in front of the uh, the fireplace and I put a temperature uh, gauge in there. We have a lot of Govies, which mm-hmm. are Bluetooth. Oh, yeah. They're the best. Super awesome. When That's I found so them, good that you had them. Yeah. So we had the temperature gauges and I put them on the edge near the fire um, just to make sure she wasn't getting too hot. But I mean, it wasn't super powerful. So I, that really wasn't a worry. But I wanted to make sure that she wasn't like, you know, getting nuked in there. Mm-hmm. So I put her in the tub. Okay. First one done. Now, Ember, she's in another enclosure and she's super easy. She's actually my blind water monitor, mm-hmm. super, super sweet. And she's just like, kind of like laying up there and she's got like a, a triple decker cage or enclosure. Sorry. And she's, <laughs> uh, she's hanging out there and she's like, mm, you know, I'm kind of cold. Um, so I just go and I scoop her up in there and she's just kind of looking around like, where are we going? <laughs> Um, so I put her in the, in, uh, a tub I stacked them on top of each other. Fortunately, because the rest of the animals were in the house, the temperatures were kind of stable at this point. They were like mm-hmm. around, like it was dropping. So we keep our temperature set at, um, in the winter 74, which is not too hard because obviously it doesn't get that cold here. Mm-hmm. So at this point it's probably dropping to about 65 in the regular mm-hmm. house which is really not too bad right now it's not great but it's not too bad it's chilly but it's it's livable yeah so the all the bearded dragons the boa constrictor the carpet python the green tree the leopard gecko the frog 
all the other animals really were pretty stable. So that's when I started boiling all the water. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we have some friends in the neighborhood and they were texting us and they're like, hey, do you have water? And we're like, yeah, we have water. And they're like, man, we don't have any water. And we're like, uh-oh. Like it's the freeze has been setting in for long enough now that the pipes are starting to freeze. Mm-hmm. And this isn't something that we're super used to. So we're like, okay, now what? Do we run the water and just try to keep it moving? Mm-hmm. Um, so we tried to put it on full blast in all the sinks. And it just kept getting, you know, slower and slower and slower. And, uh, and then as the day started to warm, the sun kind of like started getting on, not sun, but like, I guess, light mm-hmm. um, started getting on everything. And it kind of like stabilized. So we just kept boiling water. And for most of the, the, the morning, I guess, and probably till like from 5 a.m. till 11, 10, 11 a.m., I was mm-hmm. boiling water, putting them in closures and getting that radiant heat in there and it stabilized them all around like 70 to 75 to 80 depending on the enclosure size mm-hmm. so that was like a major freak out so we have i try not to count around 50 animals mm-hmm. um reptiles and amphibians outside of the dogs mm-hmm. and they all you know basically stabilized uh whether they were in tubs in front of the fire or in their enclosures themselves so like at 11 a.m., you know, we we went outside and we tried to like, you know, we did a little photo shoot here and uh, and tried to, you know, I guess make the best of it because we're Texans. We don't see snow. Yeah, it, it, it was interesting. I, you know, seeing on Facebook a lot. Obviously, this is a horrible situation, but to see some of my friends kids experience yeah. snow for the first time was like so cute. And it and I think at that point, too, I don't want to speak for you, but it still felt like a this will pass kind of situation. Exactly. No, that's, that's actually a really good way to put it because we had had the panic of the morning and we're like, okay, you know, this was the very coldest part of the day. You know, it started to get warm outside or not warm, but it's starting to get light outside and the world starts to continue moving on. All of our neighbors were outside of, like you said, their kids. And it was kind of like a, I guess a heartwarming thing. You could see all the neighbors, you know, coming out and they were making snowmen mm-hmm. and everything was kind of like in the stasis of, okay, we're making it through this weird situation. We're, you know, we're Texans. We can do this. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, as the day went on, we were, once the animals were stable, the thing that was freaking us out the most is that we couldn't get any work done. Um, my husband and I, with the enclosures with Focus Cubed, we work like 12 to 14 hour days. Mm-hmm. So, and this, this is your full time job now. Yes, this is a full time job. Um, now, like I, I can talk about that later, but we, I guess, me in December, December yes, I actually quit my full time job of six or seven years. Mm-hmm. to pursue this. Um, and my husband, the same earlier that year, um, when the COVID shutdown happened, but yes, it is both full-time for both of us. And it is, is something that we take very seriously one, because it is our sole income or, you know, I do the, the reptiles are our sole income, mm-hmm. but two, we want to make sure that we, uh, our, our customers and the people that also have a passion for reptiles are happy. Mm-hmm. So whenever we have a setback like this, we're kind of freaking out. So we're like, okay, this is like a, you know, weird thing. We're going to have a day of no power and we're going to get through this. The animals are going to be fine. We're going to move on. Mm-hmm. But as the day started going on and 
like we talk to our neighbors and everybody's like, yeah, we don't have any water. And they're like, we don't have any power. So some of the, um, some of the houses in this neighborhood have the generators that are, you know, attached to it, the natural gas generators. Mm-hmm. We had people come in like, do you need coffee? You know, do you need anything? We have full power. And we're like, no, we're fine. You can't just say to your neighbors that like have no idea what you do. Oh, we have like 50 reptiles that like <laughs> really need heat right now. So mm-hmm. can we bring them over? No, that's not really something that you can do. So we're like, no, we're fine. You know, everything's good. You know, thank you very much. And just, it was kind of like a coming together of people that really don't like, we're kind of, we're more introverted people. So we don't like talk to our neighbors and like our neighbors don't really talk to us it's kind mm-hmm. of like the thing that you know everybody's kind of like in a stasis that they're they're fine but like everybody came out and we're talking and we're talking about like the families like our neighbors across the street used to live in the netherlands and they were mm-hmm. like yeah you know it used to be cold like this and so it was kind of fun so you got to like explore and talk to people and be in a situation that you weren't normally in right and that's day one that's day one. So as the day went on, we were still like, man, we can't get anything done. So we tried to get on the internet and we tried to do some like research stuff. And mm-hmm. this is when we like really kind of got hit with it. This is probably about after we were outside, we walked the dogs and all that stuff and they played in the snow and mm-hmm. we took the video and it was very cute. So we tried to get on um, and start doing research. We're trying to do like, um, you know, learn some stuff, watch some YouTube videos and basically use this time for like research and development. So because mm-hmm. we're always like so freaking focused mm-hmm. and we like to watch reptiles. Yeah. That's a nice little pun there. You're very focused. Almost oh, like you're focus cubed. <laughs> that's a good one. You're, you're on it. I'm on top of it. <laughs> um, so yes, we're very focused here at focus cubed. Uh, so we were trying to watch videos, but we, the cell service was abhorrent. Like it was just like absolute dog crap. So we were like, well, I guess we just got to sit here. And we were kind of like looking around at each other and we we're like, how long is this going to last? Mm-hmm. You know, you know, it's just kind of still kind of stunned from the morning. And so I was like, I don't know. And we're just looking around. I'm like, well, I mean, we could try to assemble some stuff with the batteries that we have. Um, and so we just, we tried to go do some work. We, we went into the, you know, to the shop and, you know, tried to like clean up some stuff and like screw some stuff together. And we're like, man, we, I mean, we can't see. <laughs> There's, there's not enough light because we use like high powered LEDs and everything mm-hmm. to make sure you know, it puts everything in a good relief. You can see where all the edges are and so forth. Um, and we're like, well, this isn't working. So it's starting to drop again as the evening went on. And so we had to go do the boiling again, boiling again. And we're mm-hmm. like, well, the power's still not on. And of course, so we're one of the energy customers and they got hit. So like the last hurricane went to Louisiana, which mm-hmm. is obviously right next to Texas, but we were without power for maybe a, a little less than a week because Energy was a Louisiana-based company. Mm-hmm. So we're like, all right, well, you know, we'll go and it, it's warm and we will go away for a couple days and try to get away from heat. Mm-hmm. Animals were fine. It was like in the, in the 80s, which is totally fine. We have a mm-hmm. lot of Indonesian species. That's kind of where they're at. Right. So um, once again, Energy strikes again. So we get a text message from Energy saying we have, you know, basically millions of customers without power. We're trying to get it back on, um, turn off all essential electronics. So like when they try to turn the power back on, right. You don't want the surge that it kills it all. And we're like, I'm looking at my husband and I'm like, are they kidding? I mean, I get it. 
but I'm like all essential. Like they don't know that we have lots of animals, you know, here in our home. Mm-hmm. So it's like, what's essential and what's not. I'm like, I turned off, we have space heaters. We have all that stuff. And so we tried to do due diligence, like all the like heat panels and stuff wouldn't come on. I'm like, not that it would really make a difference, but it's like, okay. So we're like, all right, maybe the power is going to come back on nothing. So we started, it started getting dark and we're facing another night being super cold. It started, that was the night that was supposed to be the worst. Mm -hmm. And so basically long story short, we kept boiling water Uh, We actually ran out of water because the pipes froze. We didn't know what to do. We got the truck started. We parked it in the yard. Um, We managed to, you know, get the heat panel going. Um, We got heat tape on another faucet. uh, And we we made it through the night, basically taking shifts, making sure the fire was on, temping the animal tubs, Mm -hmm. uh, making sure the rooms the animals were still in were good, uh, filling, refilling water bottles and basically like what a lot of us did is is used warm water to radiant warm enclosures mm-hmm. um so the crusted geckos i actually put them all in little deli cups and i brought them into uh the the living room which was the warmest it probably was around 75 um and we got all the beard dragons at that point the uh, the crested geckos the monitors and everything. The only things that were still in their enclosures at that point were the uh, boa constrictor snake um, and all the rest of them. We had uh, the uh, sorry carpet python, not the snake. Um, <laughs> they were still in their enclosures because it was holding well enough in their four by two by twos to stabilize. And of course, mm-hmm. carpet pythons—they're pretty. They're, they're hardy. Used to, yeah, they're used to Australia, which is, you know, it does dip down. Now, it's not something that, like, dips down randomly, like, every other day. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he was fine. The bow constrictor was fine. Um, and the bearded dragon that was on top of that third stack, she was fine as well. She was the one that I posted the photo of. She had a um, a champagne bottle full of water yeah. that she was holding on to. And I was like, T, her name's Lil T. And I was like, I feel you. Girl, like girl after my own heart. <laughs> exactly and I was like you know if the reptiles can do it I can do it so mm-hmm. just kind of we grit our teeth and you know there was times where I just wanted to you know break down and just like what is going on why is this why is this happening why is it five degrees outside why is it snowing like the snowing's cool but like okay we're done now that was fun mm-hmm. um so we ended up with the second and third day we got power for long enough uh, we took my husband's truck. We went and got a full tank of gas after, you know, siphoning out of old gas out of other vehicles, um, to, to keep powering it. And, um, at that point when we started the rolling blackouts started to actually be rolling and not just mm-hmm. blackouts, mm-hmm. we, um, that was light at the end of the tunnel. So, you know, the temperature started coming up and animals started to go back into their enclosures because we had one of my monitors, she broke out the actual gravid female she broke out of her tub and went exploring around the house, which she's, she's done before, but we were like, Hey, Jax, what's going on? She found the bio dude dirt and it was like, kind of like rifling through. <laughs> um, and how did your dogs do with the animals all being in the living room? Well, um, so we have a female Doberman that's been with us since she was a puppy. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's a total butthead, uh, but she was fine with the animals. She doesn't really mess with them. Now we have a rescue Doberman that we got probably, I don't know, it's almost probably a year now. 
uh, we got him when he was about five years old mm-hmm. and he, his owner specifically said without knowing that I had so many reptiles, he's like, he hates snakes. He kills snakes. <sighs> and I was like, what oh. a random thing. <laughs> no, it was really weird because that's at my previous job. He was actually one of the managers there and he had just, um, he had had a kid and he was having his second kid. And he's like, honestly, I don't have enough time for the dog. Mm-hmm. Um, my wife's worried about the dog. Cause he's not, he's not aggressive in any way, but he's just a big boy. So he's yeah. just so yeah so he was like you know and i said he says you already have a doberman you know so that's basically how we ended up with him he's very sweet but he does not he does not like reptiles so what we call the the monitors is the snake with legs he's like i don't like the snake with legs (laughs) so anytime he sees them or like they're scrabbling around he whines and he comes to us and he's like the snake is coming out so that's good that at least he's like afraid of it rather than aggressive towards it yeah he doesn't like totally attack them but i'm sure if he was like given the chance like he would be like oh this is bad i need to protect my people and it's not his fault right just just a dog right so the fortunately the monitors they're big enough like he he's been whipped by my female water monitor the same one that got out Mm-hmm. um before so he's like oh it's you I'm not gonna mess with you <laughs> and she's mm-hmm. like yeah I know how to take care of myself so she got out and he was whining and he came up to us he was like looking at us and I'm like what's going on and he goes and he looks at us and then he runs off and I'm like he's trying to show us something so this is like a total like rin tin tin moment he's like mm-hmm. look at the lizard and he's like pointing at her and she's just like hey guys I'm in the dirt can I <laughs> can I play with this dirt she's like I have no idea that I'm like so close to dying with this cold I'm just playing in the dirt yeah she's like I'm just getting <laughs> so, a little tired yeah that's one of my the things that kind of like warmed my heart was like the animals we were able to keep them into enough of a state like they're warm enough that like they just wanted to you know try to go explore like they were like why am I in this like two mm-hmm. by three thing that's black you know they don't get it so it was exciting uh we were worried about like the toilets backing up because everything was freezing um and so many people it's it's really sad how many people lost animals because Mm -hmm. like anytime that we could get on the internet like for a moment it was just scrolling through all the texas pages is like what do i do i have no power my bearded dragon and i'm like if i were those people because a lot of people you know you should have generators in texas you should be prepared a lot of these people are in apartments the Mm -hmm. apartment complexes don't have you know additional power you can't put in a generator so it's like what are you supposed to do they don't have water because the pipes are frozen it's not like you can't as a person in an apartment complex go and try to warm the pipes with something that's just Mm -hmm. can't do it so these people are stuck with body heat right and we're doing you know it's a privilege too to like for those who could afford a generator because while it is very easy to say get a generator they're expensive and one that's going to last you the four or five days, like that's going to cost you more money. Well, yeah, especially like people were talking about. So there's just gas generators and there's inverters. And then there's ones that are like dual power. And you're going to be spending, you know, at least a thousand dollars on one that can do like propane or gas. And it's like, yes, if you just have a bearded dragon and you're just, you know, you just have a pet or a couple pets, um, it's really, you can't just tell that person like, Hey, you should have this generator for this freak, you know, cold. Mm -hmm. 
that you're not expecting. And because pool people say you should have a generator for hurricanes, yes, okay, but it's warm. So as far as the reptiles are concerned, there's really, it's not necessary to have a generator when a hurricane comes through. Mm-hmm. If, as long as, you know, obviously you're not wiped out and your house isn't totally wiped out and the generator's totally a moot point. because mm-hmm. <laughs> That's the thing with hurricanes. But a lot of these arguments, it's just, it, it's people not really understanding the, the depth of what happened. And while, yes, it gets colder for longer in other places in the north, and they are more prepared for stuff like this. It's not necessarily something that happens down here. The houses aren't built for it. Mm-hmm. Um, the infrastructure is not built for it. It's like, yeah, they put down rocks. I'm not an expert on how you try to de-ice roads, but I'm like, rocks did work for the most part. There were lots of wrecks, but I mean, it's not like we have the, the de-icing or the salt. I don't know if they use salt anymore. I know that was an old thing, mm-hmm. but I'm like, they just don't have that here. It's not, this is not a Northern place. So like there was all these memes making fun of it. And I'm like, that's partially true, but it doesn't get nine degrees here. So, right. I mean, it, it's just like, I live in Ohio. Well, I live <laughs> on the border of Ohio and Kentucky. I consider myself, I live in Ohio, yeah. but if we got a hurricane, we'd be screwed. <laughs> like there's yeah. like, we'd be screwed. There's nothing we can do. You know, it's, it's, you can't really compare how people react in the North versus how you should in the South, because, you know, like you said, I, I didn't consider the fact that people who have generators mostly have them for hurricanes and that for your perspective, you don't need it because the reptiles are fine. And I think at the end of the day, with a lot of these disasters and stuff, we can take care of ourselves, but our pets are the ones that, that we're caring about that, like we're more concerned about. So yeah, I can, I can only imagine it was, like slightly devastating to see the the ridicule on social media when you're going through this. Well, that's one of the things is like, uh, while I do, I enjoy social media to be able to share it with us. I do understand that it's a way for people to get on their pedestals and basically preach about stuff that not necessarily they know what they're talking about. And it's kind of like right now I'm talking about these things and I'm like, I don't necessarily know everything about what it's like to be cold in the North. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I just know what my experience was and my experience was not good. It was, it was Mm -hmm. genuinely difficult for us as humans with reptiles. And it's like the people that go and they ridicule us or ridicule Texas or the situation on social media. It's like, I get it that, you know, on one hand, everybody thinks we should have been prepared, but on the other hand, it's like, man, be in our shoes and that's always the argument is like being the people's shoes who actually experienced it and yes woulda coulda shoulda but we weren't people weren't prepared mm-hmm. as a whole and there's not I don't know if there really was a way to prepare because on the other side if you want to start pointing fingers it's like well why wasn't our why wasn't energy prepared why wasn't mm-hmm. um the all the power companies prepared so if everybody's going to jab fingers at individuals who own reptiles or whatnot um that that seem to be at fault it's like well what happened to the companies that we pay our hard-earned money to Mm -hmm. why did they fail and it's like it's never a good thing to point fingers at one another because nothing ever good comes of it but it's like well, you know, that's kind of where we're at. So if, you know, social media does, that's just part of it. Um, but I, I just, 
urge people to, you know, reflect and be like, well, you know, if you were having a situation, like you said, if somebody was in a hurricane that wasn't expecting it, it's like, well, how do you think that you would handle it? Basically, you have a freak out moment, lots of anxiety, and then you just have to act. And it's not necessarily that we acted correctly, like everybody, but it's like, at least with my husband and I, we tried to take care of our animals. And then we checked on everybody that we knew around here and we did what we could. Mm-hmm. And that's really all you can do in a situation like that. And I feel, I, I feel for all the people that did lose animals and did have hardship, um, especially like, uh, you know, I was listening to the Reptile Gumbo podcast and mm-hmm. um, they were, you know, it was the round table with everybody and like Max and Corey and all those people that, you know, they, they were, they were running through the same hardships and it's just, my heart goes out to them because it's like, we were there having those same problems. And it was like, we didn't even really have internet access. Like Mm -hmm. apparently, you know, we were notified about like this big internet thing that went down and it was like, so like I was talking to you a couple of weeks ago, like my dad's moving and he's nearly 70 years old and he was without power for two extra days. Um, And he's, not to get into the details, but he's like an older guy. And I was Mm -hmm. super worried about him. There was no way I could get to him. Our cell service was horrible. I couldn't contact him. Um, And my mother who lives in Delaware was freaking out. And so it was like, not just our situation, but like our family situation, our friend's situation. And like my husband's family who lives south of here, they were without power. His, his, uh, um, my sister-in-law, she has two broken hands with a, with a four-year-old. It's like people are going through real problems mm-hmm. that, you know, I don't know. I'm not super vocal about all the hardships that everybody went through as, as us personally, but I'm like, it was, it was definitely difficult. I felt very, very empathetic for the people that were surrounding me that were just like in tears. And I'm like, I have, there's no way for me to help them. I barely can get on my cell phone and all these mm. people online are making fun of us and I'm like that's part of it I, I I know that's how the internet works but it's like man like we're we really need help <laughs> yeah and it's gosh it's it's hard to you know hindsight's 2020 of thinking like how people could have been better how the community could have been better how people could have been better prepared but I think it goes a lot deeper than just the animals. Like you said, like you're, I don't want to speak for you, but overall you came out very fortunate, Mm -hmm. you know, you're healthy. Your animals are healthy and you're reading now that there's people who died because they couldn't get oxygen or, or people like kids who passed away because they got too cold. It's, it was bigger than the animals. And a lot of times the animal community has a tendency to really focus on ourselves and not Mm -hmm. think of the bigger picture of what was all going down there. Yeah, I definitely, uh, I agree that there's, it was a more dire situation than a lot of people ever thought it would be, or even, um, you know, continue to think there's a Mm -hmm. lot of people that are very, um, very separate, very in different situations that really like still kind of brush it off, but it moving forward and trying to turn it into something that's positive, um, is that, everyone who experienced it learned a lot. And I hope that, I hope that moving forward that we're the political part of the, the energy grid and all that stuff. I'm like, I just hope that something good comes out of it, that, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, 
the trials that everyone went through and the people and the animals and like even the wildlife um, that's been lost because of it. I hope that yeah you know, we can we can grow from it, you know, and learn and and try to, I guess, be ready for next time. Like the last time something like this happened was probably 20, 30 years ago. Um, so it's not something that happens often, but it probably will happen again. So I hope that we can learn from it as bad as it was. Um, there's always, there's through trial is, is there's gotta be a positive that comes from it. So Mm -hmm. I just hope that, you know, people, my message is that people should have empathy and understand that, you know, there's not something you can always be prepared for, but if you are a part of something that's happening, try to do your best, um, to, to take care of what you have. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's what we did. We, we lost sleep and we, we definitely went through, you know, some stressful times just trying to, cause there's, as you're in it, you know, after you're out of it, you're like, oh yeah, that was fine. We were totally fine. But as you're in it, you're like, you don't know how cold it's going to get. You can't mm-hmm. guess, you can't predict. And a lot of people, what they said is they're like, okay, so like it's this degrees now. It's like, when is the power going to come on? And they're trying to figure out, is it better to move the animals? Because then if you move the animals, then you have a, an added stress. Mm-hmm. Um, if you try to drive elsewhere, how are the roads? And it's all of these you know as you're in it the you don't know you know, like I said exactly like you said hindsight's 2020 so as it happened you're like yes this is what that was the right way to do it but as you're in it it's like you second guess everything and you just mm-hmm. try to do you <laughs> yeah I hope this can be a learning community uh, learning for the whole community so um two more questions about this and then we can start talking about other things, but I would love to know how you are monitoring your current animals to like, make sure everyone's healthy. And then also if you know of any ways that we can assist people who did go through some hard times, um, in Texas, how we can help them out. So the first question is monitoring everyone. Um, with reptiles, the really, the, as many people know, especially who listen to this podcast are very passionate and interested in their animals that if you see lethargy, um, especially now that animals are starting, at least here in Texas, oddly enough, animals are starting to come out of brumation. Mm-hmm. So you're going to start see them feeding, having larger appetites, um, you know. So really with, with a lot of collections, the, the big concern is our eyes um, because they got too cold. Mm-hmm. Um, and so basically just check for sneezing, um, lethargy, you know, not eating, uh, especially with snakes, not taking a meal. Um, and it's just kind of all those little cues of seeing like if the animal's defecating, um, the color of the urates, you know, dehydration, that's a huge thing. So people who lost water, um, I know it's for a couple of days for, for like a reptile is not necessarily bad, but like being cold and then, once the power came back on, it wasn't like, oh, the world's back to normal again. So we had to, like with us, we had, you know, a leaking roof um, mm-hmm. that we had to fix and we had to, you know, try to get everybody back into their enclosures and take care of our family and you can't just get back to normal. So, you know, I'm sure a lot of the animals didn't get taken care of immediately once the power came on. So it's like, yeah, just basically check your collections for lethargy, sneezing, any kind of bubbling, like typical RI kind of stuff. And I know a lot of people are very, um, like I'm on bearded dragon group and a lot of people are like, yeah, won't take any food, really lethargic, like before this was all good. Um, and so veterinary, 
if you're really, you don't know like veterinary, you need to go to a vet. And the problem is, is that right now here in Texas, there's going to be, you know, this, the, the long tail. So it's going to have um, repercussions past the event. So there's going to be uh, vets that are either unable to care for or don't know how to care for mm-hmm. um, not exotic vets. So it's like, choose the right vet, go there, have them tested. Um, there's going to be, you know, there's a lot of talk of Batril flying around and it's not necessarily the, I know this isn't the greatest opinion, but it's not necessarily the greatest thing to be able to like, just, you know, oh, it's got an RI, throw some Batril at it because that's the reason having gone through that with some of my animals, it's like, that's where resistance comes from. Mm-hmm. So basically be responsible, check your animals. If you see something that's not, you know, going as you would normally see it, move on from there. Um, and as far as the second question of how to help, um, there's the, uh, one of the, the amazing things that came out of this, that's actually been in the works for, you know, a year or so, um, is the Herbst Family Foundation. Um, that's Sean Gray and Lori. Um, they are down here in Texas. They're a, uh, a reptile show promoter. Um, mm-hmm. and they put on like, we, we try to do as many shows as we can with them just because like they have some of the greatest shows. They, they do a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard community. great things. Yeah. They're, they're awesome. So like it, any support that we can give to those two, um, and, and all the vendors and all the people that, you know, go to their shows, um, they started a foundation. Uh, so you can, you can find that in, I think it's the Herps family foundation, um, at gmail.com, but, uh, and I'd look on my phone, but it's going to get all wonky if I, (laughs) what I'm videoing on. We'll we'll double check afterwards and I'll put it in the description of the podcast. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. 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 Um, and that's going to be, you know, that really supports the families that, that are in need. Um, and there's also the, I think it's the Texas relief 101, I'm mm-hmm. not sure. I think it's reptile relief 101. Okay. Reptile relief 101. That was the, um, what we later found out was the repercussions of a, of a big, you know, internet argument as far as, and, and something that really shouldn't have happened, but it did. Mm-hmm. Um, and other, um, reptile, you know, enthusiasts in the hobby started this, uh, to try to help out, you know, the people that were affected. So don't quote me on the names, but, you know, once we, you know, get all done with this, the, uh, if you put those in the links, those are yeah, going to be the I best absolutely will. Awesome. awesome. Well, thank you. First of all, thank you so much for talking through all that because it is, you know, it's a very hard situation. It's not necessarily something you're going to want to talk through all the time because it is, I don't want to say it's traumatic, but it, it was a very difficult situation to go through. Um, but on a little bit of a lighter note, I would love to talk, um, kind of get into your history with reptiles, how you've been working with them and, and how you've gotten to where you are today. Well, um, you know, I've, I guess if people are, are familiar with, uh, the herpeticulture magazine and the herpeticulture podcast, mm-hmm. um, my husband and I have been on that and I've written a couple articles. Uh, but if, you're not familiar with that. Um, my story basically starts when I was about seven years old. Um, my parents were basically the original enablers that started <laughs> the whole, you know, reptile obsession. Mm-hmm. Oddly enough, they weren't reptile people. They really had no 
vested interest in the reptiles. They just knew that it was something that I was interested in. Like mm-hmm. my dad, he, he grew up in the country. He caught snakes and we had some land. And when I was growing up as a kid, you know, he'd be welding and stuff. And then he'd see a snake and he'd go grab it. And he'd want me to touch it. And I was like, I was kind of freaked out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was just a little kid. He's like, no, no, it's a snake. It's okay. And he'd catch it and he'd be, he, he wouldn't, you know, he'd be holding it. And I didn't know what kind of snake it is. And he, I found out later, he, you know, when he was a kid, he used to catch venomous snakes all the time. And he was just, you know, he was a country kid. He, he just, you know, loved wildlife. So mm-hmm. fast forward, um, he actually became a Houston police officer working with canines. Um, so he was very familiar with, you know, animals that I guess had, um, could be, could be potentially dangerous. It's not that dogs are, you know, inherently aggressive, but he did work with the dogs that definitely had some attitudes, um, being police dogs. And so I grew up with animals that basically were, um, that had some personalities and I was always interested in the reptiles and my mom wasn't necessarily afraid of reptiles. Uh, but she would always like tell me when the lizards were on the wall outside, she'd be like, Ash, Ash, come here, come catch me. <laughs> It was the little knolls, you know, Mm -hmm. growing up. I I grew up in Houston, Texas. Uh, I haven't gone far. (laughs) So uh, I I grew up here and, you know, I used to always catch little knolls on the wall and I was just a little kid. I just, I loved reptiles. They were fascinating. And also because I was an only child, I think that between the dogs and the animals that I had as a kid, uh, I really found, I guess, solace with the animals because I didn't have a whole lot of like, I guess, people interaction. I didn't have a lot of friends. I was kind of the weird kid. I'm mm-hmm. still the weird kid. Which is totally- <laughs> Aren't we all? I think if you're on this yeah. podcast, you're qualified as a weird kid. Sorry, everyone. Yeah. But it's like, that's the best way to be. I think it's like, you just, you are who you are. And that's what I always tell my husband, um, that reptiles are what they are. They don't try to like put on you know I guess sometimes they're like they puff up and they're trying to be big and bad but I'm like they just they're they're very instinctual animals and I I very much respect them for that I I love that you know they uh if they want food they're like I want food if they want to go somewhere they're like I'm going here now and I just I love that because like so many when I was a kid I was super made fun of because I was totally a geek which also is fine um, but as a kid, you don't know how to deal with that. So you, you feel like put down and like, mm-hmm. now I'm like, I'm proud to be that way. But as mm-hmm. a child, like you just don't know. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go play with this toad over here because the <laughs> toad's just going to pee on me. You know, it's not going to do anything bad. Yeah, It's so. expected. There's something <laughs> yeah. expected about working with animals, at least reptiles. Exactly. And I think that's why it draws a lot of us to that is that you know, they are really unique animals, but it's like kind of their behavior is more predictable. It's more expected. And it's kind of like what we want to work with. And we kind of like, I don't know, in the lizards, I kind of see myself in them as a kid. I'd watch them and how they'd hide, you know, when somebody came around and that's, I was super introverted when I was a kid. And it's like, I was like, I want to be a little lizard, you know? (laughs) So anyway, um, I don't know if everybody had that experience. Um, <laughs> you just really wanted to be a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. Exactly. I love those two. Oh my mm-hmm. God. It was so much fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. I grew up in the nineties. Um, and so, you know, 1994 um, through like 1996, my, my parents were like, I wanted an iguana. Actually, let me rewind. I wanted a Nile monitor. I didn't know. <laughs> 
what a Nile monitor was as a kid, but I knew I wanted it because it was big. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I would look at all the books because that's all you had back then. There wasn't any internet. Mm -hmm. So I'd go and look in the books in the library and I was like the kid, like looking through all the nonfiction books and all the lizards and it was the Nile monitor and the iguana. And in the 90s, that's what really was imported slash like in pet stores. Mm -hmm. And so my parents were like, man, the Nile monitor, that seems a little much, you know, looking at it like they're kind of like assholes, which they still are assholes because that's just their personality. They're wild caught, like people pick them out of the wild. Mm -hmm. So they were like, well, how about we get an iguana? Like most, which is also an asshole lizard. But yes, lesser known, absolutely. yeah, it just which cracks me up because it's like you chose two really bad lizards. Mm-hmm. And that's what was so funny about the 90s and what a lot of people, I guess now, you know, in social media, they don't really, they didn't have that experience in the 90s of like, they just came into the reptile hobby when there was internet and when there was information back then, like there really wasn't anything. You went mm-hmm. to a pet store and they're like, here's an iguana for like 15 bucks. Do you want it? <laughs> there was like 20 of them in the, in the, the glass aquarium. Yeah. And they're all and really like, small and really cute. And- yeah. They're green and they got their little eyes and they're all like kind of puffed up like little hot dogs, you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I saw as a kid. And I was like, oh my God, I want that. I wanted the Nile, but my parents wouldn't let me. So I was like, sweet, great iguana looks cool. Right. <laughs> so, um, so the best thing they could have done is they say, all right, Ash, if you want an iguana, you have to wait a year until your birthday, basically a year. And I was like, oh my God. I'm like, kids, kids don't have that kind of attention. Yeah. A year is a a long time. Yeah. When you're six, seven years old, I was like, okay. And so they thought that I would lose interest in it, but I didn't. (laughs) And so I read all the reptiles magazines, I would make them go to the pet store and I'd get all the books. And like, there were just, there's these awful books. I mean, they were just, they were horrible. Like I go and look at them. I, I found a couple as my dad's been moving recently. And I was like, oh my God, somebody like printed this. Like they spent the time and the <laughs> this money. This was scientific fact. What? <laughs> yeah, that's what's insane about it. So I just, I look at that stuff and I'm like, oh my God, the nineties. Wow. But I digress. That was a really fun time to be a part of it. Um, but so a year went by, it was my birthday and I wanted to go on. I read all the books and they were like, all right, I, I was incessant. Like, like a lot of us, I'm sure. Um, so I was like, all right, go on, go on, go on. And then, so we went to the pet store and of course my dad, he's the, he's always loved animals and he's definitely not the one to be, um, you know, outdid. He was like, do you want two iguanas? Do you think you're one? And, and I was like, Heck yeah, my iguana needs a friend. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm like stressing out for you. And I know how the story ends. Like, <laughs> I... yeah. So um, we ended up, and I remember my mom was pissed off. Uh, and I didn't really, I reflect on it now. And she was like, those people in there were rolling their eyes at us. And I was like, oh, yeah, because we were the people that came in and were like, oh, they need a friend, like a puppy, you mm-hmm. know? Mm hmm iguanas don't need friends they really don't don't. but they still sold it to us which was also you know that's kind of how that all goes down um because one of the sad things is is that like like that pet is was then and now still is kind of expected as a disposable pet which it shouldn't be Mm -hmm. they're still they're actually very intelligent animals as much Mm -hmm. as buttheads as they can be 
So anyway, uh, we get these iguanas home. We get an even bigger enclosure, which is, you know, better than I think most people would have done. So my dad got an extra, you know, large enclosure. And we put them both in there. Um, they had a fluorescent light and like a red light. That was it. I think it was a black light. It wasn't even a red light. So it was the red warm light at night. Yeah, I had that for my first uh, leopard gecko because I wanted to be able to see yeah. it at night because I was an yeah. idiot. <laughs> <laughs> well, we didn't know. We were I like, know. Oh, cool. <laughs> so we put it in there and uh, they chose, I don't know why, still to this day, I like sometimes have dreams about it or think about it as I'm going to bed. They chose to put slate rocks, like hundreds of little slate rocks in the bottom of this basically terrarium aquarium on the second story of our house and I'm like hmm, okay it looks pretty we've got sticks in there we, we disinfected some sticks and I put them in there and we had the little lights and they were you know doing iguana stuff and then they poop all over the place mm-hmm. on the rocks and whose whose responsibility was it to clean it well, it was mine because they were my iguanas I waited a year and I was supposed to know all about iguanas mm-hmm. so they put all these rocks in there so I once again, this is kind of, I guess, like a, a really good, um, not coming of age story, but like responsibility story mm-hmm. is I had to take every single one of those rocks out there, carry them downstairs, go and clean them with bleach because they taught me that I should clean it with bleach. So I think that's where like sort of my, my, you know, disinfecting, you know, uh, obsession went to, I'm really <laughs> about clean stuff. So mm-hmm. I think it started there because they're like, you can't let the poop you can't let it not be in there for too long. So I'd come home from school and I'd look and they'd poop and I'd be like, oh my God, I got to clean it. So I take all the rocks out of there because I was trying <laughs> to be a good kid and I take all the rocks out of there. I clean it with bleach and I wouldn't know how long, I didn't know what bleach was. And I was like, oh, it needs to be clean. So I like, I had this like, you know, kind of like obsessive thing to develop. And I was like this seven-year-old kid and I'm like, but they're clean. And they're like, yeah, great. That's good. So anyway, we moved on from the rocks pretty quickly because mm-hmm. it was getting really hard for me as a kid to like be ferrying these rocks around. I'm like, is it really good to have these rocks? And they're like, oh no, you know, we'll go back to the store and see what they think. So we got Reptocarpet. That <laughs> I was hoping yeah. for it. I was thinking she's either going to mention Reptocarpet or Heat Rock. She's going to yeah. get one well, of the two. <laughs> so we didn't get a heat rock but one of the stories or I guess how the story goes down is because my iguanas didn't die immediately all my my like the people at school they weren't necessarily my friends I guess they were you know acquaintances at school they'd be like their family would be like hey you know you have iguanas and they'd be like get their kids to tell me that they had iguanas and then they get with my parents and be like hey uh we hear you have iguanas we have one that's really mean and we don't want to take care of it anymore will you take it Of course, me as a kid, I'm like, yes, I want more iguanas. (laughs) That's every reptile person's like starting story. (laughs) It's like, when did you get your first unwanted animal? (laughs) Yeah. So it was like, I don't know, probably a year into having my two iguanas and I was enjoying them. They were actually growing and doing fine. We actually took them to the vet and got recommendations on this like iguana food that we would mix up in this huge vat. My mom and I was a great memory I actually have is we put all the like greens in there and the carrots and then they had us mix eggs into it mm-hmm. and we'd freeze them in bags. And so like half the freezer was full of iguana food. So it's like, that's what really is awesome to me that my parents really supported that. Cause like, yeah, they, I was going to say, it's great that they got so involved. Yeah, with it. They devoted a lot of time to it. So 
I got this, you know, the, my third iguana was a rescue iguana from um, the neighbor kid. And basically that one came with a hot rock and rep the carpet. Ooh, jackpot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When so are we going to see some uh, hot rocks built into the focus cubes? Oh my God. <laughs> you could yeah, do a retro like, version. Retro, it's, yeah, like it's... fake hot rock. <laughs> yeah, limited edition. I mean, that was the thing. Like, that's what you, it was like, it looked like, you know, like a, like a desert rock. And, I always thought um, it looked like pride rock from the Lion King. Yes. Yes. Oh, mm-hmm. cause it is- always had like a slanted edge where they would just sit on top. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sadly, you know, the, the animals didn't have a lot of pride in it because it burned mm-hmm. them, but circle, circle of life. <laughs> yeah. Circle of life. Um, <laughs> So yeah, we got the iguana with the, the hot rock and the reptic carpet and, you know, we went on our way and then, um, another birthday rolled around and my dad showed up in his police car and he had a huge male iguana, uh, in his hand. And I was like, Oh my God, you got me another iguana. I had no reason to think of like why he didn't have it in a box, why it was huge, blah, blah, blah. Later I found out that he had found this iguana. It was my birthday's in December. It was like December 5th or 6th. Mm-hmm. So a couple days before my birthday. He had found this iguana in Memorial Park in Houston. Um, so it was pretty chilly. And he, some people uh, were trying to like poke it with a stick. And mm-hmm. so he was like, hey, my kid loves iguanas. Why is this iguana here? This shouldn't be here. It's probably somebody's pet that was let go. Um, and so he chased after it. And uh, he and a, a couple of his buddies, because obviously they're canine police officers, they're letting their dogs, you know, take a break um, at, at the, uh, go to the bathroom at the Memorial Park and kind of like, um, I guess have like some a little bit of downtime and so he chased after this this iguana and managed to catch him after the iguana went on two legs and was like you know did the whole thing do the whole alien thing mm-hmm. you know the window legs just going to town so he caught this iguana and brought it home and it was the sweetest thing he really was I called him lucky uh, I wasn't super imaginative with my names when I was a kid that's okay I once I named it. I once uh, got a black goldfish that had an orange spot in its forehead, and I named it Orange Forehead. So I was, I was also not very good at names. I still get made fun of for that one all the time. I swear that is the best name ever. It it, it had an orange forehead. Like I don't know what you want me to name it. <laughs> That's awesome. I like that. Mm-hmm. I like that. I think yeah, you should have throwback to something like that now yeah (laughs) (laughs) i can have the hot rock and you can have orange forehead yeah i'll rename my cat (laughs) um yeah your your name's been you know something for so long but now it's gonna be something completely outrageous yeah why not so yeah that's basically the iguana story and how i like came into reptiles so that's when i was very young um my parents put a lot of effort into making sure that i was the one responsible while it was stressful for me as a kid not knowing like you know how to necessarily take care of these animals even though i was supposed to know they knew that i wasn't i was a kid you only have so much attention span but i i learned my responsibility at a very young age and i was very proud to um basically other than you know paying for food and stuff uh be the one that was the sole caretaker of these animals as a a kid so I basically um I cut my teeth very young with the reptiles Mm -hmm. and from there was your fascination always with big lizards because I know Mm -hmm. right now it seems like there's like 
there's three camps of reptile people. There's snake people, lizard people, and turtle people, or turtle and tortoise. I feel like you fall under the turtle category. Or excuse me, not turtle. Geez, the lizard category. <laughs> I was just thinking about turtles. <laughs> my mom definitely loves the turtles and tortoises. I did have. I was like a typical kid. I had a red-eared slider um, that was wild caught from our pond. You know, all the things that you really shouldn't do. Mm-hmm. That's what it was when I was a kid. So I did have the red-eared slider. It was a very cool turtle. Um, but yeah, um, I've always been the large lizard person. I've always been some, you know, fascinated with things with legs. Um, more recently I've gotten into the snakes, I'd say probably within the last five years. Um, and the snakes are absolutely phenomenal. They're, they're a different type of animal to keep, um, as far as the, you know, like the large monitors, but they have their own reward of keeping, you know, I really do enjoy the snakes and they're a lot. I don't know. It's, I'm not using simple in a, in a bad way, but they're a lot simpler to keep. Um, yeah. they're, they're just with the lizards. Like there's just so much time involved and they're just, they're so curious and they destroy everything. It's like, we have a carpet Python and he loves to mow over all of his plants. And it's like, that's fine. You can mow over your plants. Like as long as you're not shredding your entire enclosure with them, like the monitors do, I'm like, Oh, mm-hmm. that's so nice. He just kind of like cruises over stuff and just like yeah. lays it down. <laughs> and it poops like once a month oh my god that and is the greatest yeah I've had I had I had a bearded dragon actually last year for a grand total of a week and a half because I told the rescue I work with I would foster it because my little sister I lived with her she was like I want a bearded dragon and then I was the one doing all the work and I was like absolutely not never again not until I'm more secure in my life because I it it is yeah, like you said, it's just a completely different type of animal to be working with, not just like the actual animal part, but the amount of dedication you have to put in every day to them. Mm-hmm. And the funny story is, is that I've always been a lizard person. And so I guess, for, like I said, I cut my teeth at a young age, having to pick up those rocks and take them downstairs and disinfect them and then put them back for my iguanas. Uh, I got used to, you know, that effort. And so with the snakes, it, it was funny, like, so my husband, whenever we first met, he knew that I was the reptile person because we had known each other since kindergarten. And I was the weird kid on the recess at, at recess that, you know, all the other kids were gathered around. He walked over and he's like, this is some weird girl that's holding a peeing toad. Like, this is gross. <laughs> like, this, this is nasty. And we always tease each other. It's like, would you think like 30 years later that you'd marry that girl? And he's like, hell no. <laughs> yeah, that's that's so special. So. <laughs> so you you were in the hobby and then did you when when you guys were dating or like getting serious was it something that he was like 100% accepting of so Steven is a very remarkable person in that he has a lot of patience for a lot of things um, and I really do have to give that to him because whenever we first started dating he knew that I liked reptiles and it wasn't really you know when we got together we were living in an apartment And once we started getting like real steady, you know, I got, I had a bearded dragon. So when I went to college, so I kind of got all of the reptiles as far as like whenever I was in my teen years, because you always get interested in other things. Mm -hmm. Um, You're just kind of growing up and going through all the trials and tribulations of, you know, being a teen and trying to figure out your place in the world. And um, I didn't really have a whole lot of of reptiles at that point. But when I, I actually moved to Austin and I was going to college, um, 
I rescued a bearded dragon. Um, she was being surrendered by her family because they just had a kid. And she thought that the little kid's fingers were uh, like mealworms. Mm-hmm. And so they're freaking out because like she wasn't, she's just doing a lizard thing. They're yeah. Like we just don't have time for this. Like we can't have the lizard biting the baby's hands. So it wasn't necessarily that, you know, they didn't want to take care of her. But when we went over there, she had never had UVB light. Um, she was on sand. They just fed her basically crickets and worms. She didn't have any greens. So it was one of these things that she was loved, but not not cared for in the proper way, which is the, mm-hmm. the fate of so many reptiles. You being a especially, rescuer. Yeah, especially the starters, you know, like the typical yeah. best pet first reptile. You see that with leopard geckos. You see it with ball pythons and beardies all the time. It's sad because they're hardy. They're they're for the most part, but it's like, yeah, they can only take so much of that quote abuse. Like, I guess it's uh, unknowing neglect is what happens. Yeah, because these people genuinely care. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They just don't know. And unfortunately, the pet stores don't help with that. Well, that's one of my, I guess, kind of, not crusades, it's a little extreme, but like, kind of like why I love these podcasts and I want to be a part of the community is not necessarily in like, when we go to shows is, I really enjoy educating because there's so many Mm -hmm. people out there that don't understand that. So that's, I know- it's my little squirrel tangent, but like, no, I love to talk about it. That's one of my, my goals in this community is not necessarily to be a part of it, but is to include people who wouldn't necessarily know and try to educate them. Because I think that a lot of people can benefit from keeping and being around reptiles. I think they're, (laughs) they're, they're different than mammals. And I think that you still can make a connection to them. And I, I know that like somebody caring for a reptile um, that can really give a lot of purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of one of my things, but back to, uh, my husband and I, anyway, so I was in college. I had a bearded dragon rescued her. Um, she, I got her when she was probably a couple years old and she ended up living to 14 years old with me around 14 years old. She, uh, wow. she was going blind, but she was always a good eater. She ate her salad when she learned what a salad was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, so I had her and when I met my husband, um, or re-met him, you know, after we had gone our separate ways through like uh, grade school, uh, we reunited. I had moved back from Austin after going to college, and I had two bearded dragons at that point. Um, I've always been into the motorsports, and randomly on a, a motorcycle forum, back when forums were a thing, uh, we in the classified section, somebody was like, I'm selling a bearded dragon. And we were <laughs> like, okay, cool. So, um, my, my boyfriend at the time, we went over there and we got this bearded dragon from this guy's garage that like rode motorcycles. And he's like, yeah, she's, you know, she's yellow and she eats stuff and I'm selling Great. her. <laughs> yeah. I was like, okay, cool. So she was, you know, I still have her actually, which is really funny. Her name's Stella. She's probably about 14 or 15 now. Sorry, give me a second. My cat is on a cage. Yeah. <laughs> what the hell? I'm recording Oh my God. I like, I think she's so good. And then she thinks I'm not paying attention. That's cats for you. All right. Um, so you're going to pick up. She says she's yellow. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, yeah. So she's yellow. Yeah. You got to keep me on, on point. I'll go off on any kind of thing. I was about to start talking about my cat <laughs> <laughs> at the end. So um, yeah. Yeah. 
yellow beard got it out of somebody's garage so we're like hey yeah we're here for the bearded dragon and they're like yeah here she is we give him 100 bucks we get this whole bearded dragon set up and she's super sweet and uh yeah i still have her to this day so when i met my husband again uh we moved into an apartment and we had two bearded dragons and within a year the two bearded dragons turned into still two bearded dragons. Um, Izzy passed away. And like I said, it was into motorsports and we were actually at a drift event. And um, I surprised him by saying, hey, can we go over to the Walmart parking lot next door and go pick up a bearded dragon? <laughs> and he's like, excuse me, what? <laughs> we have and one. Said, oh, yeah. There's a, there's a guy that was giving away bearded dragons and said that because uh, he was a little babies their their um, two beards you know mated and they managed to incubate the eggs and they didn't know what to do with the babies mm-hmm. um they didn't think that she'd have that many so they were giving they, away like what? no one ever does yeah yeah so there's like you know at the time I think there was like four left and I was like yeah we'll take one you know they were like we just want to give them the good homes we you know didn't expect this typical story mm-hmm. um and I'm like man you had to go through the whole incubation thing and I'm like hmm, just seems odd but anyway, I was like, sure, I'll meet you in a Walmart parking lot at a car racing event and to go get a bearded dragon. So it's a memory that pops up every once in a while. Um, this We met somebody, I drove my race car uh, over to the, uh, at the time it was not street legal. We drove across the street into the Walmart parking lot, mm-hmm. met this person. They gave us a bearded dragon and a little uh, critter keeper, like a, like a cricket thing. And I have a picture of Steven just like looking at this critter keeper with this tiny little baby beard in there with a the little like, because typical bearded dragon problem is its clutchmates had eaten off its tail. Mm-hmm. So it was a nubby. Um, and he's just looking at this thing like, why are we doing <laughs> Like, why didn't you tell me about this? And I was like, I just figured it would be a surprise. Happy birthday. <laughs> yeah. It's oh, just yeah. a gift. <laughs> so I figured that he'd be okay with it because I really he he wasn't involved with the reptiles at that point I basically took care of them you know I they kept them they weren't stinky they didn't get in his way so I was like well the spirit of dragon needs a home and I'm like we'll be fine keeping it Mm -hmm. so I also still have that one that one's name is Chuki um still nubby and still insane that is Mm -hmm. The most insane bearded dragon I've ever I've ever had loves like anything that moves Mm -hmm. So I have both of them. Um, and so that was, you know, and then I, I ended up with uh, two tegus because I, I wanted to get into, you know, larger, larger animals again, or larger lizards. And I was like, well, I don't want to get an iguana because they're kind of buttheads. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to get into something that I was at the time a little bit more rare and tegus were kind of like getting real popular at that point. And they were mm-hmm. like basically the, the daily dog. So what, um, what year them. is this? <sighs> 2015 2016 okay. so fairly recent so not too long ago. yeah yeah not too long ago this is after we've all returned we, we were established um and living in an apartment mm-hmm. and this is this is after I had a huge breakup with uh with an ex um we had a house and everything together that had the bearded dragons um and I was homeless for like a short very very short amount of time I didn't want to go back and live with my parents um, but I ended up doing that and, uh, it was the best move that I could have made, but it was really stressful at the time, especially having the animals. Mm-hmm. Um, and so reuniting with, with 
Stephen was, was um, I guess, pretty much the best thing that ever happened to me because we, you know, we, we started dating and we, we got serious and we were able to, you know, kind of do everything on our own terms as far as, um, you know, getting the apartment and like, it wasn't just one of us that had it. We, you know, we got it together and, and mm-hmm. basically as the relationship grew, our, our family grew. So, you know, reptiles really weren't his thing. So I ended up with the two bearded dragons and I had uh, two tegus, both rescues um, at that point. And um, really it all started to get real serious when we finally bought a house probably three or four years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, when we got married, uh, we got married and we bought this house that we're currently in. And at that point I was like, okay, so he had been working at a motorcycle dealership and I was working at a car dealership and we were working our way through, um, I guess becoming, you know, um, what do you call it? Working through the ranks. That's mm-hmm. not really the- climbing the ladder. Yeah. Those kind of like euphemisms um so we're climbing the ladder at our our particular dealerships and like i said we had always both loved motorsports Mm -hmm. so um we moved into this house and i said okay you know for my long-term thing i really would like to keep and breed reptiles and i would like to do something that's more educational i would like to start doing more educational shows and stuff and this is all way before covid stuff so Mm -hmm. i mean like i always have wanted to do um when I was a kid, my parents let me go to the educational shows. They had the Burmese python back in the 90s, Burmese python iguanas, you know, a leopard gecko, frogs, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And that made a huge imprint on me. And I'm very thankful that I got to be a part of that. And I always wanted to give that back to kids these days. And I always wanted to be able to do that. I was like, you know, I would love to start breeding reptiles and like long game kind of things have like an educational kind of thing. So I'm like, well, you know, if you're going to do education, you want to start from the beginning and like have animals that you know and understand. Mm-hmm. So I started getting into the crested geckos and croc skinks now that I had separate rooms in the house, right? Mm-hmm. And um, uh, I guess Stephen was like, okay, you know, I, I kind of get it. And, you know, I'm not really interested, but if that's something that makes you happy, he's like, you know, go for it. So I ended up getting lots of crested geckos and I started, thankfully, I got into the exanthic crested geckos and that really is what made me think that, hey, this could be something that's like a, a, a real deal. Um, yeah, your exanthics are gorgeous. They were the first ones I've ever seen and you're selling most of them to Europe now, is that correct? Yes, actually, uh, Europe is a huge market, which is really funny. Another tangent that I could go, or a little squirrel, not a tangent that I could go off onto, is when I got into the exanthic crested geckos, there were probably three or four people here in the U.S. actually doing it. Mm-hmm. And I bought two heads, head exanthics at the time, and everybody thought that, you know, crested geckos were polygenic, poly, their genes were polygenic, and they couldn't be predictable. And mm-hmm. so you know, one of the, the big, the breeders, um, here, Brian, he had gotten, uh, uh, the original set of exanthics from UK, which is from Catherine in the UK. He, he bought out her project, um, and he was selling hets and I didn't really, I, I didn't know if I could believe him because everybody was like, no typical internet, you know, they were saying, oh, this guy's lying. Like there's, mm-hmm. this is not how genetics work in crested geckos. Um, and so he was selling a pair and I said, okay, I'm going to take the jump. I'm, I was, I, I'm going to take the leap because I love 
method noir exotics i love dark morphs right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so i figured well if i'm gonna get into this and i want to do the crusty geckos i'm gonna do what i love and mm-hmm. that's what if you're ever going to breed reptiles or keep reptiles you need to do what you love yeah you have I to said, go okay. because I, the, you have to be able to confidently keep every single baby if none of them sell you know you don't want to be getting yes. something that you're not going to be happy with having 500 of if that's how many you produce Yes. And that's a very important note that I, that I'm glad that a lot of people are that you brought up is that so many people don't expect that, oh, I'm breeding crested geckos because people buy crested geckos. But when you have 50 babies of crested geckos and nobody wants to buy them, guess what? What are you going to do with them? You got to be responsible. So that's a very important point. Anytime that you're going to think about, you know, delving into breeding reptiles is there's, these are living things. So Mm -hmm. I got into the Exanthics, um, or at the time were potential Exanthics. And uh, it turned out that I did hatch one, my first one. And I started like, when it popped out of the egg, I started crying because I was like, I didn't know if this was going to be a viable thing. Mm-hmm. I had put thousands of dollars down to get these so-called quote pets for the people that, you know, can't see. Um, and I, Everybody thought that this guy was, you know, full, full of crap. Mm-hmm. Um, but it turned out that he wasn't. Um, the people that did believe in them, like, no, I've hatched Xanthics. And it's like, well, who do you believe? So I was like, all right, you know, I'm going to, karma's good. I'm going to, you know, believe this guy and I'm going to get them. And they ended up being viable, a beautiful, beautiful hatchling Xanthic, um, absolutely beautiful parents. And I am so thankful I got to choose from multiple like sets of, you know, I guess pairs and the ones that I chose or because they were dark. And I was like, well, if I'm looking to do this, I want to have, you know, dark parents, maybe they have darker babies. And mm-hmm. my basically line of Xanthics has been some of the darkest babies hatched. Um, and I'm very proud of that because yeah. it's like that when I was developing, or I, I guess trying to like figure out what my goal or what my name was going to be was one of the things that I fretted over for a long time. You know, it's like one of those things where you like pick at your lip and you're like biting your nails. It's like, should I do this? Should I not? Mm-hmm. And uh, the ones that I chose and it ended up working out. And so Exanthics have been a huge part of uh, the growth of, of my reptile collection um, and, and basically what my life has turned into. And yes, all of them, almost I'd say 80% of them have gone overseas, which is funny going back to why I started this is that they actually originated from the UK. So they've been going over to, um, to Europe. Uh, it's, it's like this whole full circle thing all over again. Because mm-hmm. they're like, well, we don't have the antics here. I'm like, actually, I'm working with a line that originated in the UK. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's a, a really odd, you know, situation. But I guess it's funny how things end up working out. Mm-hmm. So what does your um, current project look like for your Crested Geckos? Are you just yeah, working with Xanthics? I'm working with Exanthic. I actually have three um, kind of big projects going. I have the Exanthics, uh, which I'm working on visuals and trying to put more pinstriping in and trying obviously with Method Noir to go with the darkest of mm-hmm. them all. Um, so I try to pair with, you know, pinstripes, um, quad stripes, super stripes, anything with striping and, a, and with dark, dark coloration. Mm-hmm. Um, the second project that I'm working on is the Lily Whites. Um, I 
have some of Zengex, Chase's uh, animals here, if you're familiar with, uh, with Crested Geckos. He's also another Texas breeder, does phenomenal work. Um, and so I have some of his lily, I have uh, male lily white with him that I'm uh, working on um, adding into the Exanthid project and obviously other, you know, lily white, not just outside of Exanthic. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the third big uh, project that I have going is actually the wild caught line. Hmm. And that is uh, from Belgium. Uh, I actually had imported, we did kind of a, I guess, a, like a breeder trade. I uh, exported some, some hets, some 66% hets. And uh, uh, she was able to export to me um, some of the wild caught lines that were basically, I think how it went down is the, one of the original like researchers that was a part of, because now from New Caledonia, crested geckos are not able to be exported. Mm-hmm. Um, they, most of the founding, I guess all the crested geckos that are here in the US and all around the world are from like 20 uh, wild caught, obviously New Caledonian geckos. And exports been basically stopped since then. Um, well, there was a researcher that was um, had a collection of wild cots. Um, they were all the all the original ones were you know, crested geckos can live twenty plus years, and so mm-hmm. they're all older. And she managed to get this this individual's collection uh, when he passed away, and she's been breeding them. And I have a couple of their offspring. So I have a female and a male and I'm working on growing them out and mm-hmm. I'm going to try to basically bring in that wild caught, uh, blood. I, I know Tiki's geckos also is working with it. Um, mm-hmm. and I'm sure a number of other people are just may not be super, um, I guess, publicized. A lot of mm-hmm. people probably are keeping on the down, the DL. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's basically new blood that we're trying to work into, the animals that we currently have in the, the population to try to limit the amount of like inbreeding depression that, right. that is going on because there's only so many animals that we get to work with. And there's, it's not like people are purposely, you know, inbreeding, but if it comes from 20 animals, it's, mm-hmm. it's going to be all originating from those. So potentially um, like the lily white, the super of the lily white is um, a fatal combination. So mm-hmm. what people are trying to work on is trying to work in like these wild caught lines and I guess outcrossing to try to make that super lily white. And that's not necessarily my goal. I mean, that's definitely something that could be a potential. I'm sure people will get to it before me. Um, mm-hmm. But I just like the idea of being able to broaden the bloodline altogether for, you know, any crested gecko, not necessarily for my benefit or for a, to make the super uh, lily white. But I think that it's something that is important to work with in the crested geckos that are like, a lot of them are just thought about as like, I guess, pet quality or something mm-hmm. like that, because they're not, they're not like ball pythons. And that's a that's a good thing that people are just trying to like chase the next more, but I do like the idea of being able to try to uh, expand, extend the bloodlines and, you know, see what will happen. It's, it's kind of an interesting, interesting project just to see, you know, like they're such cool little animals mm-hmm. and I think there's a lot of potential there. So yeah. example, uh, Lily White and the wild caught, wild caught lines. That's really awesome. I think 
And I think you bring up a good point that, you know, you see it with ball pythons, you see it with um, crested geckos. I think you see it with bearded dragons, but maybe not as much, but it's almost like they don't necessarily get the respect as much as they should, because there's so many people breeding them, which isn't bad, but there's so many people breeding animals that don't necessarily need to be bred to be breeding crested geckos. So it's very, it's really nice to talk with people. And I have a few friends who are like, you know, very legitimate breeders who are doing good things with their animals, really bringing in that new blood and new lines to their animals. Um, and it's just cool. Cause it's just totally different from what you normally see the narrative being around crested geckos. Um, okay. So you have your crested geckos and first of all, I love, can you hear me? Okay. Yeah. It's kind of like dropping in and out, but like, can you hear me? Yes. I think that, I think there's a little bit of a delay. No worries. Um, okay. I did want to comment that if I seem a bit distracted, the gecko in the top enclosure in the blue has not stopped moving since you turned the lights off. Oh my goodness. Cracking me up. I was like, Oh, there's a gecko up there. That's <laughs> the only one I've seen. Right, gonna, that's actually, I don't know. I haven't been posting a lot after my big surgery a couple years ago I haven't been posting a lot on method nor just because I haven't felt like I had a lot to post mm -hmm. but one of the things that I used to do was molasses the molester Mondays and let <laughs> me go grab them for you yes please do can you hear him yeah He's, he's chirping. Mm -hmm. I can hear that. I've never heard a crusty do that. Yeah. So this is molasses, the molester. <laughs> Actually, um, uh, a super awesome, um, uh, actual Patreon, um, uh, person. She's actually was one of the first ones to get our, one of our enclosures when we first started, she made an awesome, um, amazing artwork of molasses because I've tried to breed him and he has never had viable offspring mm -hmm. uh, because he always gets distracted by the hands. <laughs> As you can see, he absolutely loves my hand. Yeah. Is he trying to mate with your hand? Yes. He oh is. my goodness. <laughs> yeah. He's got the tail twitch and everything. Yeah. So he, um, this is molasses. So whenever he sees me, he will not stop cruising. That is so funny. Oh my goodness. <laughs> what a dumb little creature. I saw a yeah. meme. I saw a meme one time and it said all crested geckos share the same brain cell. Yours probably isn't having its turn yet. And I <laughs> think <laughs> I mean, he is the definition of that. Like he just, he's, He's so simple. Oh yeah. I'll definitely be posting this portion of the video. Cause this is hilarious. <laughs> so yeah, he used to have his own, own time. It was molasses from Western Mondays. Um, he feels very strongly about, about the hand. Um, and he's just a funny little guy. Like he just tries so hard and I just have to have to laugh. <laughs> so what, <laughs> um, trying the right places, but you know, I guess if you know, you're trying hard. So what morph is he? I just love how they twitch. I know. <laughs> oh my goodness. So what morph is he? 
So he's actually a super stripe. Um, you can tell by he's a lot of people like to see the five stripes. Um, can you bring it in the frame good. a little bit more? Sorry. No, you're good. <laughs> yeah. So he's a super stripe. Um, he has the kind of empty back here. He doesn't have the greatest. He's more like a partial super stripe. If you were a lot of the purists would say probably he's not a good uh, example of it. Mm -hmm. um, but you can tell the the dorsals here. Um, a lot of the people who like the super stripe like to see all the, the, the complete stripes. And there are some phenomenal animals out there. So he um, he's kind of an empty back slash super stripe. It depends on who you're talking to. Mm -hmm. uh, I just wanted to see how his offspring would produce with one of my pinstripe females. Mm -hmm. um, but like I said, he hasn't been able to produce any viable <laughs> offspring. Poor little I guy. Think he gets too excited about. Uh, yeah. Oh my so, God. you know, he's, I've had him for a couple of years and it's fine. I, I love him all the same. He doesn't have to produce. He can just be his weird little self. <laughs> That's so adorable. Yeah, Hill cruise. That's that's funny. I didn't know if you could see that up there, but he yeah, yeah he's, he's been just, up and down the glass he comes all in night. Here, <laughs> yeah, he's super creepy. My mom uh, was just in town, and um, she had to take a picture of his cresticles to send to all her girlfriends. Um, <laughs> I used to have a um, a macro lens for my phone. Okay. And I was taking pictures of my crested gecko. It was another one I had through the rescue that I don't have anymore, but I was taking pictures of the crested gecko and he showed his hemipenes and I got a macro pic of the hemipenes and it wasn't on purpose, but it's the funniest photo I have because it, it's <laughs> alarming. <laughs> well, it's like, it's crazy. Like they, yeah, they're definitely, um, they got some, they got something going on down there. <laughs> yeah. He was, he was very ready for babies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's why I was like, oh yeah, molasses, you know, he's kind of a, he's a little horn dog, but no, he just, he just wants the hand. That's okay. That's he's okay. funny. We, <laughs> we don't judge molasses. Yeah. We don't judge. I've heard of uh foot fetishes, never a hand fetish, but you know, no, no judgment. There's always something there's, there's space for something new. Yeah. <laughs> as he, as he licks his eyes. He's like, yeah, that was a good hand. <laughs> yeah. That was good. So yeah. So the crested geckos are actually been a huge part of, you know, the growth in, in animals and, um, or I guess the, the, the projects here and they really kind of open my eyes to how awesome that they are because they're just, they have such little personality. So I got them, you know, because I was interested in kind of the genetics and everything, but like learning every little bit of, of, about them is really cool. Like my little exanthic female, she's a, she's just a pig. She's, she loves her roaches and you can kind of tap on the window and she comes up, she's like, you got roaches? Yeah. And then there's the ones that are like, nah, I don't really want to be messed with. And they all just have their little personalities. Mm -hmm. And are all your crested geckos in this room that we're in? Yes. Well, yes, yes. All of them are in here. Um, now some of them are like, uh, okay. <laughs> oh, <laughs> the molasses. No, <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's getting onto the camera here. Um, uh, some of them 
them are like uh, like hatchlings that um, I have some grow outs and then I have some that actually I haven't made available yet um, just because it's winter mm-hmm. and I really didn't want to do uh, winter holds especially because it's been so cold this winter so I'm kind of mm-hmm. waiting to, uh, to list down yeah I've, I've all the crested geckos are going to be in this room this is kind of my cool room mm-hmm. that stays um, at like mid 70s all the time mm-hmm. um, so uh, they're on here, but they're kind of, I guess, me getting them open my husband's eyes to like how, how the community can function beyond just like having pets. So like reptiles to him, we're always like, okay, you're, you're, you like reptiles and they're kind of a pet, but like whenever the, we got into the breeding of the crest geckos and started going to shows, he was like, wow, this is kind of like something that's, that's really unique. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started going to shows and he really was just, he would come and help. And, um, I would be selling crested geckos and I ended up uh, getting into roaches. Um, so I have, uh, I started having them as feeders for my monitors when they were younger and he's going to jump and, uh, <laughs> and then they just became like really cool pets. And I started selling them at shows. And I remember one show I actually sold out of cave roaches. I was selling them for like six and nine dollars a piece for adults, um, which is actually a pretty damn good deal. I what kind of say. roaches? Cave roaches. So they're giant mm-hmm. cave roaches. Um, they are. I ended up getting okay. He. Uh, they. I picked them up at a show for feeders because they're once they get going, they're fairly prolific, but they take a while to get going. Mm-hmm. They're one of the biggest roach species. They're not as heavy bodied as like a hisser, um, but they do, they are the longest, which I was mm-hmm. looking for a large roach species to be able to feed to the monitors as they're hatchlings. You know, they want to, they are still, they are insectivorous. Is that the right way to say it? Um, I'm not going to correct you if it's not. <laughs> they would be in insects. And I was like, well, I need something huge. I don't want to just be feeding like a hundred dubia roaches. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. So I got into the roaches and, um, I just remember, you know, one show that I didn't have a lot of crests, I ended up almost selling out of roaches, but that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother story. Uh, but going back to my husband and I, he really wasn't interested in the animals. He was like, the crest again was like, are you really, you know, should be spending this much on these animals? And I'm like, I really don't know. Like I'm, I'm trying to get it to support itself. Um, and we kind of, I was three or four years ago when we got this house and he was like, is this really the right thing that you should be doing now? And I'm like, I don't know, but I feel like it is, you know, I feel right about this. I feel like, you know, this could take me somewhere. And I didn't know at the time that it would take me here or take us here. Uh, so I started going to the shows and getting involved with Herp show and Sean and Lori, and they were super awesome. And that really opened my eyes also to the community. Um, and how it can be so much more than just breeding and keeping and educating people about reptiles. So um, the crested geckos kind of brought me back into it big time. And I was like, I always, of course, I'm a big, big lizard person. So I had to get back into the monitors. So I ended up getting Jax, like I talked about earlier. She was my first, uh, first large water monitor. Uh, and I got her and then... Yeah, I had her for probably about, she was maybe a year, two years before I got any of the others. And now I have four uh, Asian water monitors. So what was it about the water monitor that attracted you to them? I've always liked, so iguanas are 
they, it was really cool. Once again, my parents were the enablers. My father built a huge outdoor enclosure uh, for my big male that he found. And then we ended up putting the smaller iguanas in there. Mm-hmm. And here in Houston, the outdoor enclosure, it really was neat to see them have their natural behaviors. And one of the things that he built in there was a little pond. And it was always neat to see Lucky, the big iguana, uh, jump from his ledge where he would bask into the water and just like submerge himself in there. And that always fascinated me was the, the you know, part of having the, uh, the aquatic aspect. Yeah, we got a little flying, flying. <laughs> if you hear a thump, it's molasses. <laughs> yeah, super molasses. Uh, yeah, he kind of sees himself in the reflection here. There's, mm-hmm. a, there's a tub behind him. Uh. But um, the, uh, I guess he thinks it's another gecko. He's done with the hand for now. <laughs> Tart's got to pair him now. Yeah, yeah, just so I mean, it is raining outside, so it'd probably be good. If you pair um, him now and you he got babies, you have to name them after me. Just so you know, it's it's part of the rules of being on the podcast. Hey, I'm totally if he makes if he makes some viable eggs, like you got all the names. Perfect. <laughs> Orange forehead. <laughs> Orange forehead. Yes, that'll be that'll be number one, no matter what. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so the water monitors were fascinating to me because they're a lot like the iguanas that I grew up with. Now. Uh, the monitors definitely have a different kind of intelligence. You can definitely, you can tell it. They're more like birds. And I did have birds as I was growing up, at least smaller ones, not like the big, my parents didn't really want to get into the big parrots, but I had parakeets and cockatiels and, and smaller birds. And it was just really neat to be able to interact with an animal that would like, it was definitely an interaction. Mm-hmm. And with the monitors it's almost like interacting like a bird like the way that they look at you and they think and their eyes dilate it just it really like sometimes I'm kind of like a I'm a very I hate to use the word passionate but I'm a passionate person when it comes to these animals and like I get teared up when I see them do like really natural behaviors like that like how they look and they think and it's sometimes when like they'll be climbing kind of fall off and scurry and they like look around and like look above even though they have they're in an enclosure they have a roof on them they're looking for birds and stuff mm-hmm. and I, that stuff just fascinates me so I, I I love when they show their actual behaviors like that so the water monitors were always something that that fascinated because when they were large enough that I, I felt like they were a big lizard but they weren't um they they weren't a croc monitor. They didn't have mm-hmm. like huge teeth. They didn't have the huge jaw, jaw strength and they didn't get quite as big. Now at the time, I, I, that now was you have what a croc I monitor. I, I liked that they went to the bathroom in their water. Mm-hmm. They were basically kind of potty trainable. Uh, as long as you kept it clean, that's what they naturally want to do. So I kind of preferred that. And uh, when I got my first one, I just had to get another one. And then uh, I decided to kind of get into, I guess, a breeding program um, or a goal. It's not, I don't want to call it a program, mm-hmm. but I started out with the uh, Jax, who is my standard. Um, she's just, a, okay, please don't close the program. <laughs> he, he just jumped on the phone. Uh, she's a standard macro, um, like Sumatran Salvatore. Uh, and so my goal was to once again kind of do the dark morphs um and that's one of the cool things also about the 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 water monitors is they do have like localities and they have different kind of uh traits so i obviously once i had my taste of exanthic with the crusty geckos i wanted to get into the exanthic water monitors so Mm -hmm. my my uh 
let's see, my second foray into it was I had the opportunity to buy Dex at the time. He was um, a little older than a hatchling. He um, was being imported by Jesse's Jungle um, in Florida. At the time, he brought in a number of um, Black Dragon water monitors from mm. uh, quality reptiles in the Netherlands. And I think they're called Kilobet or I'm not sure how you actually pronounce it, but they, they've since changed their name to quality reptiles. So the black dragon, that's something I heard you refer to before. Is that a morph or is that like a line? So the black dragons, you're going to have the Sumatran black dragons and you're going to have, I'm going to probably butcher this Khomeini, Khomeini. Okay. Um, They are more of a, and there's, there's slight argument of how you find your information on this. But as far as I, I, want to proliferate the information is it's basically a locality of black dragon water monitors. Mm-hmm. Um, and so your Sumatrans are going to be larger. Um, the Kamani, Komani are going to be a little bit smaller. And that's what Kilobet for quality reptiles says that Dex is and that whole, those whole water monitors. And he is a little bit smaller, which is good. Um, I, I don't need, you know, like this, like seven footer freaking mm-hmm. massive, big dude that comes to shows with me while well, that is, you know, it is a uh, uh, very impressive. Um, I, it's nice to have, you know, a little bit smaller. He can fit in the back seat of the truck in his, in his, you know, in his little travel travel tub. And he's also not a complete nuisance at the show and trying to destroy everything. He did jump on a table and scare a bunch of kids at the last show, but that's, <laughs> you know, that was, yeah, the look on their faces was great. Uh, but Dex is, so he's the, the locality water monitor. He's a little bit smaller, but he was imported from the Netherlands and get a little bit of a molasses there. A little molasses action. And he was a complete butthead. Um, now everybody sees him and he's so sweet. Uh, that's after a lot of work um, and a lot of tail whips, a lot of huffing and puffing and scratches. Mm-hmm. So when everybody sees like a really cool, like me interacting with Dex, especially he's my most, I would say, quote, tame um, or best mannered um, water monitor. Uh, it has taken a lot of work. When I first got him, he was definitely, he was a butthead. He, mm-hmm. I mean, he came from the Netherlands, so he had been through a lot of shipping. Right. Um, now they did do a great job importing him. It wasn't like he was a wild caught. He was actually bred in the Netherlands and then imported here to the U.S. Mm-hmm. But he was a butthead. He really wasn't any, he wasn't socialized. Um, so I spent a lot of time with him and I was like, okay, so if I can do this with him, um, it's like, all right, well maybe, you know, I can pair him and Jack. So that would make uh het black dragons. Mm-hmm. So that's okay to like cross locality. Well, or- it depends. So mm-hmm. localities in like carpet pythons and, and, and animals like that are a little bit more, I guess, not uh, important is not the right word, but popular. It's way mm-hmm. more popular to have a locality um, and way more important for a lot of breeders to have locality rather than like quote the designer, like in green right. trees. Right. So with the water monitors, um, you know, more of the captive born and captive bred is the important part, not necessarily the locality, mm-hmm. at least in the, the circles that I've been in. Um, so you've got like the Kamingi water monitor, which is the Philippine yellowhead water monitor. And there's a lot of different types of animals that uh, the people will focus at, on. But as far as like just the regular mac- macro, it's really, they don't have localities. They've been bred for many generations, especially by nerd, vital mm-hmm. exotics, 
a number of the, you know, the Salvatore breeders. So uh, it would basically be a morph project uh, mm-hmm. is what it would come down to, not, not a locality project. Okay. So it would be 100% hits um, if I were to breed with, with Jax. But I was like, hey, you know, like, well, if I really want to get into this and I've had, you know, my success with Jax and Dex, so maybe I should get into, you know, like the rarer morphs. So I found um, a exanthic uh, female and that's when things started getting a little crazy. She ended up being uh, the one that came to me sick and blind. Mm-hmm. Um, and I learned very quickly how important it was to find a good vet. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if it froze. It shows that I'm okay. It's bad. No, you're good. You're good. I hope the lasses didn't like jump and like stop something. <laughs> so I ended up acquiring uh, Ember, uh, which is my exanthic female. Um, she's been a absolute sweetheart, um, but it's she's been an interesting foray into learning different husbandry issues uh, coming to me, um, mm-hmm. as well as the, you know, the honesty of, of, of breeders and, and other things. Because the Xanthic, uh, I guess, trait in water monitors is mostly a wild caught trait at this point. People mm-hmm. really aren't breeding them and producing actual visuals much, or at least as far as I know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I said, like I said, I'm not huge on the social media and a lot of people who do work with them are not going to be posting on social media. So I got her. Um, and then I ended up acquiring a double het black dragon and exanthic. So it's their recessives. Uh, if, you know, if hets are being produced, they're not visual. So I ended up getting a, uh, double het, uh, from female from, uh, what is it? Michael Cole at, um, ballroom Python South. Mm-hmm. Uh, he ended up ha- having, she is a, uh, a CB. So she's captive born because her, both of her parents were wild caught, a wild caught exanthic female and a wild caught male Sumatran black dragon. Mm-hmm. So she's got some really interesting genes and I've been growing her up for the last, uh, you know, two, let's see, a year and a half, two years, and she's getting near breeding age and, uh, things are about to start getting fun. So it's been a couple years, uh, in, in process. And she's really going to be probably the one that is, or is going to be bred uh, as far as, you know, working with Dex mm-hmm. and, um, and, and Jax, she's been cycling, but we're really trying to wait for the right time to work with an incubator. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, there's so many projects. So work with an incubator and being able to develop that because we, she's, like I said, cycling and laying infertile clutches now. And uh, we could see if there's partho uh, in mm-hmm. there with parthenogenesis. Um, I was just going to ask see. about that. Yeah. So she's the, the water monitors. It is um, something that they do. They, they fertilize the eggs and it can be a viable male offspring hmm. um, that comes out. So as long as she's passing the eggs, which is, it definitely deals with having the right enclosure, the right nest box and her feeling comfortable. Um, she will continue to cycle whether she's paired with a male or not. Mm-hmm. And I haven't been in a hurry with that. Like I said, I mentioned it a, a couple of years ago, I had a surgery that really kind of like also, um, made me dive deep into the reptiles more than I, than I was at the time. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of put a lot of the breeding projects on hold. It's just because I, you know, I wasn't able to walk for a couple months and I was off work and it just made me realize having to go through that process that, 
there's more to life than just working. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, okay, let me, you know, kind of reset here with my reptiles and what projects I have. And I said, okay, I'm going to slow down on the breeding. I'm going to grow them all, make sure they're happy. And they're basically, I mean, at this point they're pets. I do have the breeding plans. Um, but you know, water monitors, they live a long time. They're all, you know, growing and happy and healthy. And so I'm like, I really, I'm not one of those people that's in a super hurry. I don't feel like the animals have to produce for me. I just Mm -hmm. enjoy, enjoy the animals themselves. And Mm -hmm. I really, that's kind of like, I guess my reward is not necessarily when I got into this, you know, three, four years ago, I was like, okay, I need to breed this and breed that. And this is, you know, I had the success with the crested geckos and I got that taste of working with animals. And I'm like, I absolutely love this. And I would like to move on from my job at some point um, at, at, at the dealership and, and work with reptiles. But it has, you know, hindsight 2020, it has come, become something completely unexpected how I thought that I was going to be in the reptile industry and reptile community. And now what's, what we are doing is completely like mm-hmm. 180 of what I had planned because so, of course. So you, you know, you talked about how Steven kind of, you know, was following you to shows. He was encouraging you uh, skeptical a little bit, which I think is, is very common with people who are with partners that aren't necessarily in the hobby. Um, but transitioning into how you did make this your full-time career, he was really the one who got interested in, in designing and building the cages initially, correct? Yes. So you, you're, you're a very, um, very astute, I guess, um, uh, not visualizer, what's the word? Um, being able to, to pick up on that because a lot of people think that it probably originated with me, mm-hmm. but it was actually, it was actually Steven. Uh, he, it was kind of this weird uh, kind of one-off thing. It was last, I guess, October, September. Um, he- Pre-COVID? He, oh yes, pre-COVID. Okay. Um, not, not last, so it'd be a year ago. So 2019 September. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. how we just define our lives now. It's pre or pre right. or post COVID. <laughs> sorry to so anyone funny. who wanted to listen to a podcast and get away with it. It's you can't, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay. okay. So pre COVID. Yes. 2019 mm-hmm. before the days of the COVID. Oh my God. The good, good old days. <laughs> <laughs> a good itch. Oh man. We're going to be talking about this one for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, so pre-COVID in 2019, um, um, the, the animals are getting to be a really big part of our lives. We're going to the shows. We're really enjoying like being at the shows and interacting with the people. And I wanted to take it farther. And he was kind of looking into it as like, okay, well, you know, my wife's a little crazy. She likes the reptiles, but she's not, you know, like she's doing good things with it. It's not too creepy right now. <laughs> yet <laughs> yeah, yeah just famous wait. last words <laughs> <laughs> exactly not too so, creepy yet yet yes that y-e-t so 2019 september he starts getting into uh watching like youtube videos and uh he watches because we've kind of delved into like building pcs and stuff and after the the whole surgery thing and, and not doing the motorsports as much he wanted to kind of like have a hobby or have something that would like kind of get 
his mind off of, you know, working and not being able to really have any kind of outlet other than work at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause we weren't doing a whole lot of like the, nor- the athletic stuff that we had been doing. Mm-hmm. And he started looking into the, like the computer case modding and stuff. And then he saw like CNC machines. You could get like a hobby CNC machine um, that was that you could kind of like, I guess once I, I keep using this term, but like cut your teeth on. And he was like, okay, well, and he watched this, uh, this, this um, actually British guy uh, who did his own case modding and was just like blown away at how amazing and creative this guy got with, with PC cases and PC um, like elements, not necessarily mm-hmm. the case, but there was like different parts of a PC. Mm-hmm. So we saw that. And then I was like, Hey, uh, you know, if you want to do stuff with, with the CNC machine, you know, there's PVC reptile enclosures and at the time and they're expensive. I was, and they're, yeah, they, <laughs> they, they're, they're really nice. And it's something that I've really wanted. And it's like, well, you could test on, you know, I've got a lot of animals that you could, you know, kind of, kind of test on and try to figure it out. So it was weird because it all kind of fell together. I was actually talking with a friend of mine, one of the jobs that I had before I worked at a car dealership and, and started to be a supervisor there was I actually worked on a landscaping crew for about a year mm-hmm. uh, when I was in transition, um, trying to, you know, get my feet under me after the, the old relationship and, you know, getting into an apartment and then, you know, getting into the, the house that we have. So I worked in, in landscaping mm-hmm. and I was talking with that guy and he, we built fences and, and gazebos and stuff like that. And I was like, Hey, I've got a wife monitor this gets pretty, getting pretty big and I want to move her into the sunroom I was like could you could you build an enclosure for her and he's like yeah you know like how would you want to do it and then we were all thinking of doing this out of wood like basically framing a house and mm-hmm. kind of making a wooden enclosure and then Steven started looking at the PC stuff and long story short there he ended up getting a, a smaller CNC machine and started working on it and started working in CAD and basically started from literally knowing zero about any of this any kind of computer design, any kind of, you know, what is a P, what is a sheet of PVC? Like what, what is that, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, started with that. And so we went down to a, um, we found, we found uh, a PVC supplier um, after trying to figure out like they, who carries PVC. Cause unfortunately here in, in Texas, Lowe's and Home Depot don't carry it. Mm-hmm. So we had to source PVC. We looked online and tried to get it shipped to us. And we ended up getting some, just a couple of sheets and we paid astronomical amounts for it. Mm-hmm. And he ended up running the first line. It's in one of our videos on our YouTube channel. The first cut with the CNC was actually for the Greg box, um, which Greg is one of our Croc skinks. He's a very gregarious skink. So his name is old Greg <laughs> from the, the, you know, the UK um, uh, kind of like, I guess, skit show old Greg. Mm-hmm. very funny very dry very british so that's what old greg's named after mm-hmm. and so we called this box the gb the gb1 greg <laughs> box one and the first we ended up cutting it with a saw for the actual outer dimensions but this one little vent was made by the cnc machine and we were so proud we made the video and we were like oh my god look at this this is the most beautiful thing ever and you look at the video and like the thing barely fit it had gaps. I mean, it was like maybe a foot by a half and a, a foot by a half and a foot of an enclosure. 
and the gaps are like huge. We had them glued together, but mm-hmm. we were so proud of it. Like we, it, it made taken, it. it. Yeah, exactly. And it had taken probably a week of like him researching and trying to set up the machine and going through, oh my God, so many, so many trials and tribulations of, of iterations of failures and like mm-hmm. not cutting all the way through and, and not getting it to talk to the computer. So it's, I mean, there's so many programs. So he tried to figure that out and we ended up making this Greg box one and we loved it. And then we had that, that, that taste of it. And we looked at each other and he was like, this is actually really fun. Mm-hmm. So he kept working on it and between me and giving him the input for what the animals need, like what kind of screens, like how much depth, because I had a UVB meteor and I wanted to say, you know, we could offer enclosures with UVB. Mm-hmm. Uh, they could be bioactive. And he's like, well, you know, how are we going to do that? What size do we need? And so we went through all this like huge back and forth process. And then that is what drew him into reptiles is like, trying to develop these boxes that were just beyond boxes. They Mm -hmm. offered, you know, UVB and more of like a habitat. So we Mm -hmm. focus cubed was never an idea at this point. We were just trying to make enclosures for my animals and I wanted them to be as nice as they could be. I wanted them to have, you know, the heat gradient for the crested geckos. I wanted the beard and dragons enclosures to be secure Mm-hmm. You know, so we just went through a whole like R&D process with all of my collection at that point. And it was a very valuable, but very, very trying process for like a husband and wife, because like he didn't really have the whole CAD design down. And right. And that's he- not easy. CAD design no. is not easy. I used to work um, for a company and and I was the only person on the team who didn't actually know how to use the software that we built. And I was in marketing. So I was the tester and it's hard. It's not easy at all. So like I would be given instructions on how to do something. And I was essentially, they were like, if you can do it, anyone can. And I very often could not do it. So props, props to Steven for figuring it out. So how did you like, how did you get around that? I guess you just put in a lot of like hard work and grit I, to figure yeah, it out. Yeah. So I worked, I worked for, um, my background is in technology. I, I got my information systems degree this last year and I was working for a technical marketing team. So I'm in marketing now. And this team was very much focused on how technology and marketing overlap. So we built all of these, um, like essentially like tests for the software that we sold to explain it to other people to use. And I picked it up fairly quickly when I needed to, but for the first month or so that I was there, it was very much like, you don't have any background in this. So let's it's baptism by fire. So I wish I, I wish I'd kept working with it. Cause it's really cool. It's a very cool skill to have, but it was not my forte. Man. First off, congratulations. I saw that you did graduate and that's a huge, thank you. That's a huge accomplishment. Thank you. So I started a podcast. (laughs) Yeah, it was, I was like, okay, I graduated. I had all this free time and Joe was like, all right, yeah, start a podcast. (laughs) That's a good, that's a good outlet and a good way to get something started. It's kind of, I think that's how everything started. Like you, you have something and it turns into something else and then it grows. And then you're just like, it's something, this huge baby that you're proud of, but it's always funny when you first start it because you're like, Oh, you know, this is just something 
that's like small and it just kind of like popped up, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. Like the Facebook group is how this started. I know you're a member of the women's Facebook group and yeah, I was like so excited when we got a hundred members and now we're sitting at nearly 2000. I'm like, holy shit. Like, whoa, fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I think that's just, that's the story of life. And I think that's like kind of how it's surprising, but you just kind of got to roll with it and smile. Like that's where my like kind of, I guess, wild side comes from. It's like that unexpected is just the most fun, right? Like Mm -hmm. in a time when it's unexpected is not necessarily good. You're like trying to figure it out. But then when you're like, oh shit, we did it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's basically how Focus Cubed was formed is we, we were like, oh shit, you know, like we did it. Like we, we worked as a team and we argued a lot and we had a lot of problems and we had a lot of like frustrations, but it turned into something that we were super proud of. And we were like, well, if we enjoy this and this is something that like our animals are benefiting from, it's like, well, what if, you know, could we do this for other people? Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, yeah, if we're willing, if, you know, I told him, if you're willing to continue with this, it's like, I'm definitely willing to continue with this because Mm -hmm. I would love to, to expand this into something that like benefits. Once again, going back to the community, I'm like, if we, if our animals are doing well and, and we're able to continue doing this, like, let's keep doing it. So, uh, we continue to try to develop like better and better and higher quality enclosures that fit better, were easier to assemble. And it's like all the little, the little things came with time, Mm -hmm. but in the beginning we were just trying to make enclosures that, that were perfect for the animal. Right. And then we started working, especially Steven, he, he's the design guy. So he, I have to, you know, give him a huge credit on like the aesthetics because he brought it more into something instead of like, oh, you have a reptile room and you have some animals in boxes. No, he wanted to bring it into like, well, people like colors, some people, or Mm -hmm. some people like, you know, certain like aesthetic parts of it. And like, they want to have it like match their home. So it's like, he's the one that really brought that into it. And I said, okay, well, we can do it in different parts of our home. We can like test with the colors and stuff and see what, you know, goes with where. And a lot of times rooms are created at ambience. Mm-hmm. Um, so we ended up putting some enclosures outside in our regular house that weren't like an ambient room. And we, you know, worked with gradients and stuff like that. So a lot of these enclosures were, went through their trial by fire with on our own home and our own animals. Mm-hmm. And so we were able to, once again, going back to the govies, try to figure out like the perfect temperature gradients and what, you know, products worked well and stuff and how you could like integrate UVB in, in, in places that weren't necessarily normally, um, given UVB, like, like shallow mm-hmm. things We've been working with a, a certain type of lighting there. So that's also another thing that we're kind of working on that's been in, you know, the works for over a year. So, uh, then uh, we're doing this for like, ouch, thank you for biting me like a month, <laughs> not a month, um, into 2020. And so boom, 2020 hits, we go to our first show that we debuted the focus cube habitats, which I have the video on our YouTube channel. It's a, I remember this in February. And so that's like right before the like COVID shutdown happened. And I think that like, that literally was like, the weekend before like everybody was starting to um like like venues were closing down so we were like okay the reptilon's still on we're gonna go and we 
you know, Stephen always on in his podcast was or when he was talking, was talking about, he's like, we just brought these enclosures there. We had our uh, boa constrictor Xyla's enclosure there with her in it. And people are like trying to open it and look at it. We're like, no, there's a, there's a snake in there. It's really <laughs> sweet, but like, there's a snake in there. Just let mm-hmm. me know. So uh, we brought her enclosure, which was the first splatter paint enclosure that he ever did, mm-hmm. which that was super awesome too. I remember doing that in our front yard when my mom was here and we had her do like the first splatter and she was like, oh my God, this is really fun. (laughs) So it was a family ordeal. But he just, we showed up with these enclosures and people had a huge, um, I guess their reception was awesome. They were Mm -hmm. like, wow, you know, these are very different. Like they they kind of have a different, and a lot of things where people had said is that they look like computer cases, which is that's really a, funny. As soon as you said that that's how he got into it, I was like, yes, like it's PCs. That, oh yeah. I didn't even uh-huh. think about it. Mm-hmm. Well, it's funny because some of the times um, I'll, I'll look at them and I'm like, the, the, the design definitely has like the like modded PC kind of look to mm-hmm. it. And that's not, that's not necessarily like his, his goal, but it's like, Sometimes his, I guess, psyche goes back to that first days of. The yeah, well, it's the- familiar. <laughs> uh huh. So I think it's it's really cool because that's actually a huge um, community. It's a PC case that actually mm-hmm. transfers over to reptiles a lot. Is like PC gamers and PC mm-hmm. modders actually keep a lot of reptiles and amphibians. So it's it's been neat to see like people are like, wow, that looks cool. It'll match my PC case. So we've actually done a couple builds like that. Um, so it's really cool just to see the passions of people's like communities meld together because reptiles can be part of going back to how I was rambling earlier about like mainstream and educating is people reptiles can be a part of it doesn't have to be so niche you know it can Mm -hmm. be something that's that's more mainstream that people need to have more knowledge and 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 community for so repticon uh february uh it was super awesome we really didn't sell a whole lot but we talked to a lot of people that were very moved by what we had to offer they Mm -hmm. were uh, very praising of it and they were like man this is you know not something i ever expected and they're like do you have a business card and then we got a ton of contacts after the show of people asking you know could we do a custom build here custom build there and that's when uh after that show is actually when we decided to buy our second cnc machine and then COVID hit. Mm -hmm. And as everybody knows, everything was kind of shut down and delayed. Uh, My husband, basically, he was, um, he was a finance manager at a motorcycle dealership. And he was told not to come to work at first. And then they were like, well, we're going to be open. And then they were open, and they weren't supposed to be open. And he ended up working more hours and not getting paid for it. And he's like, I'm not at this point, he wasn't sure like what COVID was we weren't sure so we yeah no one knew Mm -hmm. yeah am I gonna get sick like I'm I'm forced to be working here um and I'm not getting paid for it because we're supposed to be shut down Mm -hmm. so uh that was a whole kind of like political thing with that and he was just like well if I'm not gonna be paid for the work that I have to do he's like we had a ton of orders at that time. We called it, we thought it was a ton of orders uh, <laughs> from the, the Repticon show and like people just, you know, being introduced to us and wanting to get some custom builds. And he was like, you know, we, we were we were both working and we were staying up until like 1, 2 a.m. trying to get the CNC machine to cut everything. And we were going through a lot of trial and error. We were getting, making sure the quality was there. And then we 
COVID hit, we couldn't get like products, we couldn't get hinges, we couldn't get, you know, PVC sheets. Mm-hmm. And then the, uh, the second CNC machine that we ordered ended up being delayed by two months. Mm-hmm. Um, and we already had to wait a couple months for it. So like everything just kept piling up and we were like, and he's like, if I'm not going to get paid at work, I'm going to go ahead and, you know, I'm going to take the leap. I enjoy doing these enclosures so much. And this is something that I feel really fulfilled about Whereas mm-hmm. work. It was kind of like, he was just working for the man and didn't feel fulfilled. You know, he was getting beat down by all the customers that were like, you know, it's too busy here. You guys are open like two hours a week. And it was basically, it was not a good, it was not a good situation. So right. I said, I'll support you no matter what. I don't care if this is a reptile thing or not. I will support mm-hmm. you in whatever you want to do. So I was still working. We were still working full time uh, at my dealership. I worked at a car dealership. And so he took the leap. He said, you know, I've worked here for six years. I appreciate, you know, everything that I've I've been through with you guys. And, it, you know, we made a lot of friends through his, his work, but he was like, I, I have to move on. They're like, no, really? And they were always joking with him that he was making roach enclosures. Because he had roaches on his desk in a little enclosure um, <laughs> in his office at, at his at his job, and that was I need to the, move you know, somewhere that lets me have herbs. I need to move. It seems like my friends in Texas, <laughs> like Chris Painshop, has office geckos, and I'm like, where the hell do you work in Texas? Like, what is it about that that place? Yeah. Jeez, I want to move well, there. Hey, you're welcome to come to Texas. It's a great place to keep reptiles. That's for sure. And we have decent weather most of the time. It does get yeah. very hot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, I can deal with the hot. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's probably better. I don't know. I don't think I could do the snow thing that, that everybody upstairs, upstairs, up north <laughs> does. It's, yeah. It's just, it's too cold most of the year. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So Stephen so, has these uh, office roaches. Yeah, he has the office roaches. And so everybody was like, they thought that he was, you know, just like I was crazy and he was making enclosures for my animals and I was sucking him into the, you know, the whole reptile thing. And they're like, oh, you're going to make roach enclosures because that's what he had at work. And uh, he's like, yeah, I'm going to make roach enclosures. That's what I'm doing. And they were like, no, you're really quitting. And he's like, yeah, (laughs) I have to do this. You know, this is this isn't working. So the whole COVID thing came and that you know he wasn't getting paid at work so he said all right if I'm going to do something I'm going to do it for myself I'm going to be proud of it um and the enclosures were something that he was actually very proud of and he was learning and he actually he kind of had his passion back for something again mm-hmm. and so he took the leap um and I was I still am very proud of him for what he the stress and the, the, you know, the mulling over the, the chewing of the cud that he went through trying to figure out if he was actually going to do that. And if he had the, the, the wits to do it, because one of the things about being your own boss is while you get to be your own boss, um, nobody's there to save you. Uh, Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. that was the thing is like, he's, I have to do this for real and figure it out. So, you know, I, congrats to him. He was the first one to take the leap and, uh, he took it and ran with it. Like we, we still continued working until midnight. Um, I still continued to stay at my job. We went through the COVID shutdowns and made it through that. And our family made it through that, um, fairly unscathed. Um, and, uh, fast forward to December of 2020, um, 
I was taking care of all the animals here. Um, we were working, you know, into, into the night, every night, trying to keep up with the, the orders after, you know, multiple shows and developing um, our internet presence. Mm-hmm. And everything was just piling up and we were, I mean, I don't know if he would ever admit to it, but me being me and I'll talk about anything like the anxiety, I didn't sleep. I'd wake up in the middle of the night crying and I just, I didn't, I would have nightmares about that we would build enclosures and they just like explode, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it was, you know, the, these silly things that you're, 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 I guess, subconscious thinks about. I'm like, I just couldn't sleep. He couldn't sleep. We started, you know, it was just not good. It started to stress, you know, like our family situation, his family was worrying about it. My family was like, you know, what are you doing with this? You know, the typical thing of people who kind of jump into the reptile industry as, as their sole means of income is like their family. It's like, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like my family's already always been supportive, but my husband's family, they're not reptile people at all. Yeah. They're, and it's, it's hard to explain. I think that it's fortunately, and unfortunately, I think that a lot of people listening and you and I both know is like, it's, family's not necessarily accepting of it you know like if it's a hobby okay like oh that's just something that they do but if you decide to do it as a full-time job they're like why are you doing this is this right thing to do with your life do you want to you know is this going to be something that you see yourself doing in 10 years kind of thing and it's like reptiles are you sure Mm -hmm. and I think that like him being so steadfast in in his decision and telling his family like having never been a reptile person and them being not reptile people it's like yeah I believe in this and mm-hmm. I believe in myself and I believe in my wife and that's really what made me take the leap is this sounds so like you know lovey-dovey and emotional but it really that's what it came down to is focus cube is not just a business for us it is our way of life and it's what it's become is our way of life um so much more than we ever thought it would be in the community and like doing these podcasts and people like you that support the community and help spread like the education and stuff. We're just, that's what we're thankful for. And that's why I believe that we need to come together more than like so much lately. It's been everybody's, you know, been at each other's throats and from all my rambling and, and I guess weirdness is I just want people to believe that, Reptiles can bring people together. They can make your life something that is worth uh, working for, worth living, and worth you know being a part of a community that that isn't as small as you think, but is small enough to be close. Mm-hmm. You know, it's mm-hmm. the kind of thing. It's like it's not so spread apart that that it's not so small that nobody can be a part of it and not like be make a living or not um you know be passionate it's like there's so many youtubers that are not just pet tubers but people who are just education uh based that that revolve around reptiles and people who make their living and then like there's in the last year there's been a bloom of podcasts which is Mm -hmm. awesome because the more that's out there and the more outreach that everyone has the more this hobby can grow and the more people can be like my husband and I and take that leap, maybe not under some stressful, like, you know, times like we had, but like, that's just, I guess that's the trials of life. And that's mm-hmm. why I think it's really, um, 
that's why we're so proud of it is we went through that and we had the jobs and we took the leap after, you know, the hours of work and we still continue to work seven days a week, you know, 10 to 14 hour days. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's not looking like it's going to let up. And that's both a good thing for the fact that the reptile industry is growing. Mm -hmm. And another good thing that people believe in quality care for their animals, because the first step it takes is to think outside of your wheelhouse. And that's what we really, I guess that's the message that I, at the end of all this is want to give to people is like, there's, there's more to it than just being a weird reptile nerd. I think that people can take it as far as they would like to go, you know? Yeah. And really enjoy. (laughs) Yeah. I think really enjoy. I can't think of a better place to kind of wrap things up because we have been talking for two and a half hours, which I could, (laughs) I could talk to you for six hours, but, um, I just want to ask like a couple more questions and then, and then we'll wrap things up. So if someone is interested in getting a focus cube habitat, what is the process like? And what is like, how does from start to finish, tell me what goes into getting one of your enclosures. So the, hold on, my computer just muted. Oh, technical. I can hear you. You're good. (laughs) Okay. Um, So with one of the things that we try to be great at is customer service and not necessarily customer service in like a sense of like, Hey, you're the customer and we're like providing a service. We want to talk with you like on a personal level and try to get what, what's best for your animal. Now there's, there's only two of us. So there's only so much we can do. So we have tried to develop a, a, a website that both explains how and what um, accessories are and what enclosure sizes are and animals that are good for them. And we, if the information can't be found on the website, um, we leave ourselves very open to be emailed, contacted on Facebook, Instagram, really anything. We try to be, uh, available within a couple hours. Now, if it's something that's emailed over the weekend or something like that, or, you know, over, we, we tend to be like old people and we get up really early and we go to bed sort of not late. (laughs) So, um, if you, if you message us at like 9 PM, we're probably going to be, you know, winding down for the day and not replying to messages. But during the workday, we try to be as accessible as possible to try to help people get an enclosure that they want. And now, We've managed, we started out with two different, the high rise in the sector, mm-hmm. two different models. And now we have a handful of models and keep adding more each, each, I guess, really at this point, each week is when you guys are, are very open to custom sizes as well, right? Yes. We are open to custom sizes. Now we do have to have the caveat that custom sizes do take longer. We mm-hmm. have no issue working with you on a custom size. We would love to do it, but a lot of th- times people want that at the same time that our original already designed models are. And it just being two people, we're trying to remedy that and trying Mm -hmm. to get, you know, trying to work through that backflow, but because, you know, of COVID and everything, we just can't do them as fast, but yes, we're totally open to custom sizes and custom builds. We have uh, people messaging us and wanting to work on paludariums, stuff for like amphibians and dart frogs. And of course, like with our exoterra tops, working with the exoterra enclosures, Um, so we, yes, we try to be very open. If you can't find something on our website, simple thing is to contact us on your mode of preference, uh, Facebook, Instagram, email, 
you know, whatever works for you, we try to be, we try to be there. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And then, um, my last question for you, very briefly, tell me about this new croc monitor. We can't, we can't, we can't gloss over that. I didn't know like how to bring him or her into it. And I already ramble enough, but I was, yes. I was waiting. I was like, we're going to talk about it. Even if she doesn't want to. Yes. You're awesome. I, I, even if this isn't included in the podcast, I'm so excited to talk about it. Um, so one of the crazy things that came out of the, the Texas, you know, energy weather crisis is, um, a while back I had purchased uh, a croc monitor from Blake Wilson, um, reptiles, which is a local, you know, breeder and reptile keeper here in, in around the Houston area. And at the last show, uh, and even before that, Steven was talking about, he's like, man, it would be really cool to have croc monitor. He's like, you have the water monitors. And it's like, how cool would it be to have a croc monitor? And I'm like, yeah, I mean, I'm going to say no to that. (laughs) Yeah. I've never really jumped into them because while I'm used to the Salvatores, the croc monitors do get physically longer. They're named, you know, they're, they're one of the longest lizards in the world. And it's like, well, you need to be able to house that. Mm-hmm. But I, it, he expressed that interest in them after me having the Salvatores for so long and absolutely loving working with them, like absolute passion project right there. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, okay, yeah, if you want a croc monitor, he's like, no, we really shouldn't do it. And then he'd like, anytime you'd see a croc monitor, like on one of the reptile videos we were watching, he's like, we need a croc monitor. And I'm like, <laughs> uh, done. So I kind of kept it on the DL. So he was like, yeah, it'd be really cool if we could do it. I don't know how we do it, but we need a good one. We need to, you know, like work on the enclosure and like how to, how to care for a croc monitor as it was like from a young, cause he was like, I wanted to get it like a hatchling. And I was like, okay. So that like kind of narrowed down what I wanted to work with. Mm-hmm. so Blake had um some hatchlings uh, some juveniles at the last show and he was kind of like he had one there and Stephen was so close to getting it but he's like no okay it's like we'll we'll think about it a little bit more so I contacted Blake and I'm like hey bud you have some awesome croc monitors can we buy the one that you had the show he's like well that one's already you know taken up so he says I have one more left I think it's a she no idea honestly he was like I just call her that you know because the croc monitors when the juveniles it's even harder to tell like their their sex from I mean it's really hard to tell physically Mm -hmm. so and uh, he's like she's super high yellow and I'm like all right cool as long as you got her you know like you're good um let me go ahead and pay for her and you know I'll pick her up I was like only thing is only thing is my husband's birthday is in June do you think you could hold her for that long? Because we've got an insane queue of enclosures right now. And we need some time to develop an enclosure. And I need to kind of like break it to him that that's going to be his birthday gift. So and when while, was this that you were purchasing it? What? When was it that you were purchasing it? Um, Probably about a month ago. Okay. So you so were thinking like, oh, it now? February, so January, February, okay. early February. Gotcha. Um, with everything happening, it's crazy. So I know <laughs> the, um, and I know caveat, I, I know a lot of people say that it's not good to buy an animal for somebody for a gift. I absolutely agree with that, but because he's expressed so much interest in it, you know, it's kind of, uh, I got him, uh, the boa constrictor that we have, and it's kind of a collective thing. I mm-hmm. say that it's for him, but like we take care of it. It's, mm-hmm. it's part of our lives now. And it's part of, you know, how we, how we grow as a couple, right? Right. Absolutely. Um, so I'm like, all right, you know, he's probably going to be mad, but he's really not going to be mad because he wanted to do it anyway. Mm-hmm. So 
I said, okay, got to hold it until June. It's okay. That's fine. You know, as long as you know, pay me up front and everything. And, uh, and then boom, this, this total winter disaster hit here in Texas. And, uh, Blake had a lot on his hands. He actually had a monitor building, um, that once again, because we don't have a lot of like coldness here, it wasn't super insulated. Mm -hmm. So the whole monitor building was not keeping temperature. And he had like lots of adult monitors, lots of hatchlings. And he messaged me, he says, Hey, your monitor, you know, is safe. We've got it in the house. He's warm. And I said, okay, I'm going to go ahead because this is like a crazy situation. I felt super horrible for him. It's one of those things that I think a lot of people need more empathy in the hobby is what, or at least what happened in this situation is like, you've got a lot going on. I appreciate you reaching out to me for the animal that I purchased and trying to make me feel um, like the animal's okay and that the animal is okay. But I said, mm -hmm. you know, once this is the roads are passed, you know, like, we're, do you mind if we come and, you know, take them off your hands? Basically a, one less mouth to feed and warm. Cause I didn't know mm -hmm. how long this was going to last. Right. Because and that's, it's a lot to ask of someone else to like one of the things is, is I, I that he had to hold it so we could build an enclosure. So with everything, you know, out of, out of whack, I told Steven about, it, I said, Hey, cause he was once again, talking about a croc monitor. I was like, I bought a croc monitor from Blake. I know you wanted one. The only thing is, is we need to make an enclosure like now because we <laughs> have to go get them. And he's like, what are you serious? And I'm like, yes, I'm serious. He's like, Oh my God. And he was like, and I looked at him, I'm like, you didn't really think that the first time that you said, I want a croc monitor, that I wasn't going to get a croc monitor. Right. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I've always, I want, I've always wanted to expand the monitors, um, or at least the monitor project, just because there's so much fun to work with. Mm -hmm. And being able to work with such an intelligent species, I was super stoked to be able to do it, especially with something that he's passionate about. Mm -hmm. So, um, Everything went down with the Texas weather. Uh, we ended up cobbling together, uh, and I say cobbled together, it was some pieces that we had uh, left over from another build um, that was the uh, a six foot tall, four foot wide build. And it was actually for a two foot deep, but he ended up designing um, and working out of some scrap that we had. He made it three feet deep and we managed to put it together. He made these lizard ladders. It was gorgeous. It like looks he, like he, you've been planning it for months. Well, he designed it and I looked at it because we had power. That was the first day that we had power. We, the roads were still thawing and he was like, all right, I'm going to design it. I'm like, okay, I will go work on enclosures. I will go, you know, do whatever. Cause we really, we were worried about blackouts and rolling mm -hmm. blackouts and we didn't want to run the CNC machine because once it died, like one, it would be pulling a lot of power Two, once it died, an entire sheet would be wasted. Right. So we were trying to work with stuff that we already had cut. So I was like, all right, you design, I'll go assemble stuff and do other stuff for the business. So he came and brought me in there. And I was, once again, like I said earlier, I kind of teared up because I got emotional. I was like, oh my God, that is the most awesome design like ever. It had the little ladders. He's like, and he's like talking about how the, the croc could climb up it. I'm like, oh my God, from three or four years ago, having no interest in reptiles and now like seeing his eyes light up with trying to build this enclosure for this animal that like he's wanted and I've wanted. And I'm like, that's like, that is what this whole endeavor is about mm -hmm. is, you know, helping the community and supporting each other and, and growing as us, you know, like him and I, as, as a husband and wife team, we really try to push that because like, we really are a team. So yes, 
The crop monitor, uh, we did go pick them up, put them in the enclosure. We're still getting actually, since that was about a week ago when this podcast is being recorded, we are still trying to decorate the enclosure. Um, everything's kind of delayed with all the shipping and stuff, but we have some like cool little like um, knickknacks to put in there and uh, for climbing and everything. But uh, yeah, the little the little crop, little uh, monitor's name is Dart um, because it's very busy, very smart. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're working on socialization and we'll definitely have more video footage of that. But yeah, just seeing his eyes light up and the passion and like really thinking about his own animal in building an enclosure, that's, I can't ask for anything better. Mm-hmm. Well, it's been so much fun talking with you. I, I, you mentioned how much you appreciate the community. And I think I speak for the community when we say how much we appreciate you, you've done phenomenal things in just a year and a half that you've been doing this to advance husbandry and advance, you know, where we can go with our enclosures and how we can care for our animals. So thank you so much. And thank you for being such a strong supporter of me. Your kind words mean the world. Um, so if people want to get in touch with you, where can they find you? Um, Definitely Focus Cubed Habitats um, on Instagram, Facebook, uh, focuscubedhabitats.com. We try to keep it real simple. Um, that is cubed spelled out, not the cubed is the three. Um, so that's where you can find it. And if you're looking for more of the breeding aspect, uh, it would be Method Noir Exotics LLC on Instagram and Facebook. Um, I don't have a website, but I do have a Patreon, um, and that is under Method Noir Exotics LLC and Focus Cubed Habitats. Um, and it's not something that we push super hard. We do have some benefits and some really awesome supporters there. And once again, I know I ramble, but I really do. We really do find that the community support is one of the most important things. And if we don't support each other, you know, then what's the point, you know, I I just, and I really do appreciate you having me on this podcast. I apologize for how much editing you'll probably have to do. because I'm going to keep most of it. Honestly, (laughs) I don't even care. Sorry to people who just listened to three hours of podcasting, but like, I couldn't even, I I had no desire to stop you. Cause like I said, I, we could literally talk for like six hours. I think we got through two of the things on my sheet, which is fine. I'm so sorry. I really don't, don't apologize. I'm supposed to be in charge. I don't, I'm supposed to be, I would be such a bad teacher. I would just be on (laughs) tangents always. Um, no, it was an absolute pleasure to speak with you. I will make sure to tag all of your pages in the comments. And, um, I want to give another huge thank you to Joe Phelan with port city pet for supporting this podcast and encourage everyone to give us a follow on Instagram, which is the Modern Medusa podcast, or you can follow me, Dominique, at DeFalco Reptiles on Facebook and Instagram. So thanks everyone for listening. And thanks again, Ashley, for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on and Joe for hosting all this. You know, you all, you both of you are just phenomenal people and are really, you're very important to the hobby and very, very wonderful people. Thank you so much. And we'll talk at you next week. Thanks guys. All right.